podcast this week, it's Guardians of the Galaxy Endgame as we speak to Nebula herself, Karen Gillan. Plus her Avengers Endgame director, Joe Russo, drops by to talk about St. Andrews, movies, golf and AI, otherwise known as Our Jobs Endgame. Maybe. We shall see. Anyway, all that and more on the movie podcast that invites you to pledge allegiance to us. <laughs> we'll give it 30 seconds. Gotta give people time to pledge allegiance. I don't think I pledge need allegiance. That I pledge allegiance to the pod. To the pod. The Empire Podcast. The <laughs> Empire the, Film Podcast. To the giggling idiots. And to the giggling idiots. <laughs> yes. And I hereby swear that if they need a cash loan or a bed for a night, that it is theirs. I presume wow. they've all they've all taken the pledge. Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. Uh, this week I am in the great depressing pod booth. I'm joined by my two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Do not put a crown on either of their heads, even though one of them is a geek queen and also a staunch anti-monarchist. <laughs> Work that one out. <laughs> Helen O'Hara, geek queen. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm fine. I enjoy, you know, embodying both sides of a of a contradiction in terms. Yes. Uh, you're like, uh, whenever De Niro says to Pacino, there's a flip side to that coin and heat. You are I the am coin. the coin and the <laughs> flip the side coin. of the coin <laughs> yes. and the sliver between, down the middle. Do you look sense. at Prince Charles, uh, sorry, King Charles III and go, you're very much alike, you, are, we, you, and, I, <laughs> you and I, King Charles III. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's the, it's the air of enormous wealth that we both have. I think that, that, that you know, enormous wealth that really marks us out in common. It really does. Yeah. It really does. Uh, we're also joined <laughs> by our great big fucking nerb, James. Sorry, King James. I'd make a good king. Dyer. I would make king a good James king. James Bible Dyer. Yeah, I, I have good crown head. I beg your pardon. Yeah, no, I give good crown head. I have good crown head. I have a good, I have a head that would suit a crown. I mean, you'd never suffer from hat hair from the crown. Well, so quite. Yeah, but I think, I think I, I have the correct cranium to bear the weight of a crown upon my troubled brow. Well, heavy lies the head and all mm-hmm. that. And my head yes. does lie heavy already. So. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. I love quoting Spider-Man Far From Home as well. <laughs> <laughs> Get all my culture from the MCU. Yes, yeah. that's what I was quoting all right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Anyway. Excited about the coronation? Excited about uh, King Charles III? We were just talking about this. Yeah, we were. I mean, look, I don't care. <laughs> Obviously, I don't care. But, you know, if I have nothing else to do on Saturday morning, it's a big if. You'll if, watch it. You'll watch a little bit of it, right? It'll be because on in the background and I'll I'll bitch about people's outfits. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm willing to go that far. Historic. And no further. Is it though? This, it is historic. I mean, I, 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 listen, I am not a monarchist either, but you cannot argue with the fact this is historic. This has only happened once in our lifetimes and none of us, you may not even, you may not even been alive. Uh, no, what? in fact, it hasn't no, it hasn't. I was thinking of, I was, sorry, I was thinking of the, um, I was thinking of the Silver Jubilee. <laughs> you, were thinking, the you were thinking you were the vampire Lestat. I am, you were thinking. <laughs> yes. But uh, I'm more like the vampire Lestato. <laughs> He keeps a spreadsheet of all my victims. Uh, no, this has not happened in our lifetimes. No, not so at all. So the coronation of a monarch has not happened in our lifetimes. Well, it's not been, our monarch. Other monarchs have been coronated. No, they haven't, because most of them don't bother with a freaking coronation. Really? Yeah. No, you don't. Ha- you don't have a big coronation ceremony in like Spain or in like the Netherlands or I think most of Scandinavia. They just get on with the job. Who's the without queen of having- 
I don't remember. Is it Mathilde? I think Mathilde. You know Mathilde from I Leon. Don't remember queen Mathilde. I don't remember who's the current queen of Holland, uh, but the Netherlands. Tom is the king of Holland. Did I say Holland? I'm going to get in trouble. So Beatrix was the former queen of Potter. the Netherlands. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> and I think they now have a king who is William Alexander. Well, William Alexander. One. That's William not a very Alexander. Dutch name, is it? Willem Alexander. Willem Alexander. That's there much better. Yes. Yes. A few people uh, over the last couple of weeks or so have been asking us about our favourite movie coronations or our favourite movie kings, and we decided to save it for for this one. Uh, I'm going to go King Bob. Yeah, because you, Bob. you, Christopher, have, yes. been, have been have been indoctrinated into I the have, way of dominions. I <laughs> banana, banana, banana. Uh, King Bob. We all hail King Bob, don't we? <laughs> yes. We I do. mean that guy yeah. is just is just the greatest. So I, I watched King. I watched Minions for the first time the other day because of of little drinking game. I had somehow managed to miss it. <laughs> I'd gone to great lengths to somehow manage to miss it when it came out in 2015. Uh, and I watched it at the weekend. And I, 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 you know, I go into an Illumination film with a certain level of dread. And uh, you know, I think Super Mario Brothers reinforce that to, to an extent. And then you watch something like Minions, which is just this absolutely free-flowing, yeah. freewheeling gag fest that at one point has a sequence in which John Hamm, John Hamm as Herb Overkill, the husband of Scarlett Overkill, the baddie voiced by Sandra Bullock. John Hamm and he's trying to kill the three Minions and he's trying to hang them and execute them and they're just having the best time. And it's like, this is some of the darkest shit I've ever seen in a kid's film. It's extraordinary. So anyway, through a sequence of events far too ridiculous to to uh, relate here, uh, Bob, who is mm. one of the minions, becomes king of England yeah. <laughs> in, in that, and he uh, he gets he gets crowned. There's a big coronation. Mm. There's no dildo fight, although yeah. I'm sure that was on the table at one point. Um, and he literally he, he he dresses the nation, and he just goes King Bob, and, and they all go yay. And then Are he then the he minions, says some though? gibberish. No, they're not. They're oh, real okay. people. And he says some gibberish, and everyone's like. Um, uh, is our new king an idiot? And then he goes, King Bob again! And then they all cheer. And it's so much fun. It is so much fun. Do you think fun. Charles will take a leaf out of Bob's book and do much the same thing? I think he should. I, I think, think it he should. Couldn't go badly, could it? You know. It couldn't go much worse. No. Yeah. 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 People are not King Bob. Super king Bob. Any other great king. Don't have to be British king. Don't I mean, even have no, to be. No. King Ralph, of course. King, king Ralph. Ralph is a good yeah. Ralph. Yeah. Um, so Again, talk about incredibly dark shit that happens in the film. <laughs> it's really dark because the entire yeah. royal family gathers at the beginning of the film. Yeah. Yes. You know, cousins, aunts, uncles, second cousins, third cousins, you name it, they're all there they're for all a gigantic there. portrait. <laughs> they don't have a designated survivor. But wouldn't you know? Keepers wouldn't <laughs> you know? <laughs> king Keeper. <laughs> That uh, that sadly there's a loose wire, and that due to an unfortunate combination of water and electricity, they are all electrocuted straight to hell. Yeah, and and um, so an obscure American uh, or heaven. I think you were you were adding it in there. Yeah, okay. and an obscure American called Ralph then becomes king of England, and of course faces entrenched opposition from the kind of awful people who will be first in line for seats at the coronation. Yes. You know, I find it, there's an injustice in this world, and it is this. You can get King Ralph on DVD. You cannot get The Pope Must Die, which is kind of a similar thing, but more Vatican-based. Do you know what I mean? Like the Robbie Coltrane, mm. The Pope Must Die, or The Pope Must Diet, as it was renamed at one point. Uh, it, it's, it's not available. It's not streaming. You can't buy it. It doesn't exist. It has been expunged from the universe. What a loss. Yeah. I, 
Yeah, yeah. Well, so that happened. Um, in, in terms of coronations, I mean, I mentioned it before, but Aragorn's is pretty cool, even though his hat is ridiculous. That is a good and he coronation. looks better with bad hair. Like, he looks better with yeah. dirty hair. He is at his absolute thirsty best when he opens the doors oh, and his hair is swinging door? backwards and forwards oh. or dripping. He's all a bit like... No one has ever <laughs> opened any door better than he does in that film. That, that should yeah. be in a museum. Yeah. That That's moment. fair. It's incredible. But yeah, he should never wash his hair. And I think that the end of Return of the King... Yeah, because he's had a proper Nicky Clark of by the King end of it. ...proves that. Yeah, it, the deep conditioner does not work for him. No, no. Um, <laughs> because he should be it. a no-poo lifestyle, which of course means no shampoo. Oh, I'm just getting that right, out. I was going to say. Just being clear on that. That seems unhealthy. Yeah. Um, so Better he's a good one. And then, of course, the other, I think, great movie coronation, the one that all the world loves, is The Princess Diaries 2, a royal engagement. Um, <laughs> uh, does feature a Chris? Does that one feature a Chris? It does feature a Chris. That, that, that is the one that features a Chris, features yes. A Chris yes. But the point is, he's um, like, look, she shouldn't have to marry me to become queen. She'll be a good queen. We should just like crown her. And I was like, you know what? This guy with his bad hair, which he did have at that point. Really? Yeah, it was not good. Is right. We should crown this woman queen. And then they all. Is it, was it Moldova? Where is she queen of? She is queen of Genovia. Genovia, that's it. Sorry. Wow. I don't know. for you. Sokovia. It's, it's hard to remember. Gregorja. Gregorja. Other coronations. Doesn't have to be coronations. Can oh, just, be king, just king. Just king. Just be straight up. Well, the kings. alien queen is an excellent monarch. Not so, a king. Uh, Not a king, James. The yep. clue is you, in the question. You, sir, you are a misogynist. <laughs> I'm yeah. a misogynist. Yeah. Uh, anyone else? What about what about? Uh, oh, I don't like to talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, you do. Oh God. Uh, are there any kings in the MCU? Do I can think of one? Can mm. you? Well, Namor's a god, not a king, isn't he? So, T'challa, I mean, T'challa you... Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yes, yes. T'Challa. T'Challa's yeah. king. Does he, king. Get, does he get? He gets. He gets crowned, doesn't he? He gets. You know, there's a big. It's not, it's not a big, big old party. Actual physical crown. Yeah, there's the sort think. of there's the sort of fight scene, mm-hmm. and then there's general acclaim. Yeah, I'm saying, if your choice is a crown, a piece of bejeweled headwear, mm-hmm. or a magic tulip that gives you superpowers and a kick-ass Black Panther suit, I would take the latter. As a symbol of my reign. You know, and I'm surprised that, that King Charles hasn't gone for that. Aren't you? I mean, yeah. presumably somewhere. No, no, I mean, no, not to throw shade choice. at our king, but he is definitely not worthy of the heart-shaped herb. Yeah. Well, Say that's harsh. Saying nothing. Um, what about, uh, he said, in no way Googling it, what about King Leonidas, played by Jerry Butler? That's in King! This is king. Is he a great 300. king? I 300. Mean, he leads from the front. He does. Yes. He kicks people down wells. He also, does. he makes excellent ice cream. Uh, chocolates more than ice cream. Is it chocolate? Say. Oh, he is, isn't it? It's a chocolate shop. Yeah. Not an ice cream shop. Oh, that's disappointing. Who does? Leonidas. Leonidas. It's a chocolate, chocolate shop. shop. Oh, I thought you were talking about Ben and Jerry's. Yes. King Ben <laughs> and like, Queen Jerry. Yes, They're king, right. and queen of, king and king of my heart. Anyway, yeah. Ben and Jerry. Um, this is fish food. <laughs> so good. Not even the best flavour. It's not. It's no. not. Uh, do you think... Choo-choo. Actually, it's Empower Mint, which has been discontinued. It was a special edition and it was yeah. the greatest of all time. I probably saw it in the graveyard when <gasps> I went to I Ben would, and Jerry's I would headquarters. Genuinely, if Ben and or Jerry are listening to this, I would actively sell, frankly, Chris and or Helen to you hey. in exchange for some Empower Mint, which was just genuinely the best. And before someone says, but you can get Mint to Wonderland, it's not the fucking same. <laughs> 
Well, I'm glad we're clear on that. There we go. There we go. Uh, king Kong. He's he's a king. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of his name, isn't it? I I really haven't. I feel like I haven't seen, you know, the documents uh, laying out the constitution of Skull Island, yeah. and I would want to examine those more closely. Have you seen any of those pertaining to any of the other kings we've I mentioned? I have actually T'Challa seen. and Leonidas and people like that. Well, I've seen the Magna Carta, so all the British ones mm. are covered. Um, I haven't been to Wakanda, no, but they clearly have a system of government. Like, we've we've seen their system of government. I'm just pointing out we haven't seen the system of government that anointed Kong King of Skull Island. Who is your favourite Westerosi king? <laughs> I don't have one of those, James. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> There's a Stark knocking around somewhere. There is. is it, king yeah. is Bran it, the Broken. It'd be one of the kings of the north, though, wouldn't it? King in the north. Like, king no, in the there, north. The whole point is there's no good Westerosi kings. Like, I have a favourite French king. I even have a favourite English king. But I don't have a favourite Westerosi you know king. That, that would be ridiculous. genuinely doesn't shock me about you. Yeah, well, you know, Henry the Fourth of France was a dude. He changed religion three times in the middle of the wars of religion and brought them to an end by so doing. What? Come on. Yeah, he did. He changed, so he was indecisive is what you're saying? No, he was born Protestant, then the Catholics yes. massacred a bunch of Protestants and took him prisoner and they were like, you can either convert or die. And he's like, cool, I'll convert. Then he the escapes. The obvious answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then he escapes and goes back to his people and is like, just kidding, totally still Protestant. So what a lad. Back. Then he inherits the French crown Uh-oh. after a mad monk kills Charles the... No. Rasputin. Ra, ra, anyway, Rasputin. And becomes a Buddhist? And he becomes a Protestant again because... Hang on, but he's already, he's already a Protestant. Sorry, a Catholic ah. again oh. because the people of Paris wouldn't accept him as a, wouldn't accept a Protestant king and he says Paris is worth a mass. He converts to Catholicism then puts in place a treaty, I think it was the Treaty of Nantes, that um, brings about peace between Protestants and Catholics in France for about 100 years until his like great-something grandson, Louis XIV, fucks it all up again. Did they call it the Mass Effect? No, but they should have done. Yes. Did he... So, so let me get this right. He started off... Um, Protestant, Protestant, Catholic, finished Protestant, Catholic. Catholic, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, just went awry by the end, didn't he, really? But, look, I'm just saying he's an example to us all, Chris, you and I especially. And then, of course, favourite English king is Henry II. I mean, obviously Henry II. Because... Because he was married to Eleanor of Aquitaine, who's like my favourite French or English queen, because she was married <laughs> to the King of France, and then despite having two kids by him, was like, oh no, I'm barren, you should probably divorce me, so I can marry Henry II. And the King of France is like, what was that? And she's like, nothing, no, oh, no she reason. a baron? Huh? <laughs> baron Queen and a baron. Two R's and yeah. an e. Oh, I see. Okay, right. And uh, uh, so who? she goes off and marries uh, Henry II of England and has like six kids. So like mother of, you know, Richard the Dragons. Lionheart and, you know, King John and mm. so on. Okay. Um, played, famously, Henry Catherine II. Not, oh. Well, that was not... Yes, like Catherine, Hepper, Catherine Hepper in one of her... And Peter in, The Lion in Winter. Yeah. Peter Tool. But yeah, real kings. Boring, boring. Bah. I mean, don't they were pretty kings. cool, those two. But yeah, yeah were they though? I don't know. Uh, let's focus very, very quickly and let's bring this to an end. And uh, let's talk about King Arthur, shall we? Ah, uh, yeah. He's a lovely Lights king. Of the round. Lovely. Yeah. And whenever we're able. No, 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 no one knows it. No one knows it. I can never make out the words of that song. We it's like the Beastie Boys. Able. I know that much. Yeah. But Camelot in that song is just like, you know, it's like a Beastie Boys song. It's just noise to me. Uh, so let me see. Uh, who is your favorite King Arthur? And Sean Connery. Why is it Clive Owen? <laughs> <laughs> it's Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Sean Connery. In. In, really? the round table. In, in, in First, first Night, which in first is one night. of those films that I had on VHS and really enjoyed and have not watched in Why? 20 odd years. And I, and I, plan I, to continue I can never go back and watch it because if I watch it, I will need to face an inconvenient truth. 
the, not the Al Gore documentary. Which is a very good movie. It but, is, as yeah. is the sequel. But nevertheless, yeah. they will not help me to to get past the fact the first night probably isn't great. I suddenly remember my Charlemagne. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, no, no. Best King Arthur. Well, Who was your... the one in like the 50s or 60s? You know, that really Technicolor King Arthur? A Technicolor King Joseph Arthur. Joseph Villa's amazing Technicolor King Arthur. Yeah, kind of thing. A Technicolor King Arthur? Yeah, there was. I've got to look it up. Oh, Fuck's sake, Helen. Sorry. King Arthur movies. So, Knights of the Round Table, 1953. Is this what you were talking about? R- Robert must... Taylor? Yeah. Robert Taylor. That sounds right. Uh, star- no, he's Lancelot. Uh, Mel Ferrer. Mel Ferrer is King Arthur in 1953's Knights of the Round Table. Mel Ferrer, of course, um, I believe, was either father or uncle to Miguel Ferrer. Um, the deliverer of the mm. the Lion War is fantastic. Uh, Richard uh, Richard Harris, of course, in Camelot, nineteen sixty seven. Do you know uh, what I mean? It's actually, um, I. It's Graham Chapman. 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 Chapman. Run away! Arthur, King of the Britons. Yes, King of the Britons in uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah. So there we go. Anyway, happy birthday to Prince Charles and hmm. let's move on, shall we? If you want to have your question read out in the Emperor podcast, you can get in touch with us before we're taken to the tower and and uh, hung for treason. Um, you can get in touch with us on Twitter. Slide into my DMs, if you will. I'm at Chris Hewitt on Twitter. Uh, still no blue tick. Um, mulling it over. Mulling it over. It has been made available to me. The tick was offered. You have been offered the tick of the tick, shame. The tick has been offered. Just like, if, Chris, we're just going to leave this tick, tick for you on the table. We're going to leave it on the table here. Yeah. And Helen and I are going to leave the room. Yeah. And if when we come back, the tick is no longer on the table, we're not who can say, say where it went? Who can point a finger? <laughs> uh, I am mulling it over. I'm mulling it over. We shall see. We shall you see. Want this? They've now changed the wording on blue text. Have you seen this? Tick and strike oh, yeah. it on, down. It no longer says this is uh, this account is verified to Twitter Blue and has verified the phone number. Now it just simply says this account is well, verified. Our, ours never did. Uh, ours, our ticks, which are which are get out of jail free ticks, simply say you are verified because you are associated with Empire Magazine. Yes. So there is no even hint. So I'm just mulling it over whether I want to be associated with Empire Magazine. No, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the main it's thing. It's a little late, Chris. It's think, been yeah, twenty plus. It is. Years. Yeah. yeah. Whether they want to be associated with me, of course, yeah, is well. another matter. But uh, but anyway, I'm thinking about it. Anyway, I'm at Chris Hewitt on Twitter. Slide to my DMs. Reply to any of my tweets when you stop laughing, of course, or reply to a panicked shout out every now and again. Or wait. For someone to be crowned king and then just ask, have a bunch of you ask the same question. There we go. All right. Shall we have a guest? Yay. Let's have a guest. Who do you want? Do you want Karen Gillan or Joe Russo? I want Karen Gillan. There we go. All right. Karen Gillan it is. Did she do the interview while wearing nebula makeup as she has obviously attended her couples counselling? Yes, I saw that. That was very, very funny. It was. Yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> do, do you think like his first thing was, oh God, she only calls me Starlord when she's mad at me. <laughs> uh, in case you don't know, Karen Gillan uh, posted on Twitter and Instagram uh, yesterday a screenshot from a Zoom uh, call. She she got married last year, yep. I think, and uh, and she and her husband, um, I guess, have regular couples counselling. Well, it's, it's, this it's, is so the way to go. She just called it couples therapy. So it may just be couples they therapy, have regular yeah. therapy as a couple, yeah. as opposed to they're in crisis. Like, yes, yeah, so, yeah. I don't think yeah, anyone was yeah. nothing was meant to be inferred Indeed. from that whatsoever. But uh, I guess they have these regular sessions, and uh, she forgot about one of them whilst huh. she was filming Guardians Three, apparently, and she's in pretty much full nebula makeup, which is awesome. very very funny. Yes. Very funny indeed. 
she's great, Karen Gillan. She's been on the podcast a whole bunch of times, and uh, I always have a blast talking with her. Uh, this time I only had 15 minutes or so, uh, but we were talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which is out right now in UK cinemas, uh, brought forward, of course, to avoid the coronation. And, uh, you know, she returns as Nebula. This is now, what, the fifth time, sixth time, I guess, technically speaking, uh, counting Thor, Love and Thunder, and seventh counting the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, and she's played Nebula, the daughter of Thanos, and of course, sister of Gamora, and now one of the key members of the Guardians of the Galaxy, as they barrel towards the conclusion of James Gunn's trilogy. Uh, so this is an interview that, uh, in which, as you can tell, we both thought the movie was coming out on the 5th of May, not the 3rd <laughs> of May. There's a lot of talk about that. Uh, and although it's not spoilerific vis-a-vis her future in the MCU, maybe only listen to this once you've once you've seen the movie. All right? Okay, can't say fairly that. Here's Karen Gillan. Do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the star of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, Nebula herself, Karen Gillan. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. You're on fire, Karen. You're on fire. Uh, just for the people I at home. I am on fire. This girl <laughs> is on fire. <laughs> You're wearing an outfit that is bedecked by flames. We should explain for the people at home. Yeah, I'm covered in flames. I didn't realize what it looked like properly until I saw myself on screen and then me and Palm Clement EF erupted in laughter and couldn't get through the junket because I just looked like I was on fire in every interview. <laughs> and you're up against the moment you're up against a sort of background that is very flaming. background, actually. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an interesting choice. I'm just wearing a t-shirt. I'm wearing more than a t-shirt. I should point it out, but I am wearing just a t-shirt. <laughs> I feel it feels rather bland and boring. No, you've got a fun different coloured pocket that keeps peeking out there. <laughs> there it is. There, there it is. It. That's my pocket. There we go. <laughs> I have some character. I have, Please validate me. Uh, anyway, <laughs> you're in Paris at the moment, is that correct? Yep, we're in Paris, uh, promoting the film. It's about to come out May 5th or mm-hmm. 5th of May. I've turned into an American saying the, the month first. I don't like that, so I have to correct that. The 5th of May. The 5th of May, yeah. But you don't do that thing when you write down, because you've been living in the States for a while now, haven't you? But do you do yeah. the, when you write down the date, they do the month first, which is frankly psychotic. I I agree. I uh, couldn't agree more. Um, and I definitely don't write it like that. But sometimes I have to say it like that to get people to, I, I don't know, it's just like a shorthand with Americans to like, like whenever I, you know, if I said bachelor, I have to say bachelorette instead of Hindu because they're like, what is a Hindu? <laughs> what is a Hindu? Just clucks. That's what that's what a Hindu. That's what oh, you should say. Oh, I set you up in you. Yes. <laughs> I didn't disappoint. The nation held its breath for a second. <laughs> Would he drop the ball? No, he knocked it over the line. And mixed his metaphors uh, in into the bargain. Uh, but yes, yes. Well, of course, this is five five. No matter on which side of the pond you. You live. Oh, you're right. It is five five. There you go. What does it mean? <laughs> oh, there's some there's some conspiracy theorist that's coming up with something very intricate there. Love <laughs> a good conspiracy theory though, so I, I'm I'm not against it. Do you? What's your favorite conspiracy theory? Well, I don't know. Like I've watched I've watched a lot of like JFK stuff. Yeah, I kind of and, and, like I... moon landing stuff. Oh, really? What, as in what, some of it was faked or? Yeah, yeah. And like that the footage was shot by like Stanley Kubrick and all this stuff. <laughs> they were really on the moon. That was just Kubrick doing his thing. <laughs> it was just, it was Kubrick on the moon. Yeah. 
Yes. Apparently, oh. Neil Armstrong snapped when he asked for a 78th take and he just he stormed off. <laughs> yeah. And Kubrick had to step in and do it himself because he was like, well, you can't see in the suit anyway, so... <laughs> It might as well be me. We have no, we have no proof that it was actually Neil Armstrong who said those words. You know, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. That could have been Kubrick, for all we know. I think it kind of sounded like Kubrick, if I'm being honest. <laughs> You're a Kubrick fan, aren't you? Because you've been on the podcast before. And we talked about Kubrick. Yeah, I do like a bit of Kubrick. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that'd be good. So, do you consider the moon landing then to be part of the Kubrick oover? If you're if you're having a Kubrick night. And you get the Kubrick box set out. Do you start off with a cheeky bit of the moon landing first, just to? Absolutely, yeah. That really is like a like a good starter. Um, stick on the moon landing, and then go into maybe you know two thousand one. That would be a an obvious progression. Obvious progression, and then Barry Lyndon. And of course, yeah, <laughs> you've got to go to Barry Lyndon. <laughs> that leads the Space Odyssey leads nicely into Barry Lyndon. I find the two go together. It's 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 so beautiful. Although to be fair, with, when he created those lenses for Barry Lyndon, he used NASA lenses in order to be able to shoot in such low light. So there is a connection. I did not know that. Wow. I mean, I know he shot yeah, in low he level to shoot in only uh, candlelight. Yes, and it was such low-level lighting that they, the cameras weren't picking it up properly. So he had to create a whole new lens using some NASA technology. That's wild. That is wild. You see, that's the one thing I learned today. That's that's something new. You got to learn something new every day, and I learned that today. So thank you for that. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, we should talk about the film, Karen. We should talk about okay. the film. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you want to talk about more more about Barry Lyndon, Volume One, as I believe Kubrick referred to it. Volume. <laughs> No, I think we can probably move on to Guardians. <laughs> we can move on to Guardians, Volume 3. Uh, I have to say, I love the film. I'm I'm really glad that we got this movie in the form that we got it, because obviously there was a there was a period for a while there, a few years ago, where it wasn't going to be in this current iteration. James wasn't on the movie for well-documented reasons. Uh, I spoke to him yesterday about this, and he was he was saying that there's a line in this film everyone deserves a second chance. Yeah. And the thing that blew my mind was that that line and that theme was already very rich in this movie before the shenanigans surrounded yeah. him. Uh, and he told me that whenever you and Palm read the script for the first time, that that line nearly broke you. Is, is, that, is that right? Well, when we read the script, we were in a really sensitive state because James had been fired from the film. Um, and we were all deeply upset about that and didn't know what to do and whether we would even continue doing this without him and, you know, seriously considering not, um, because it just wouldn't have felt right. Uh, and we were all kind of on the phone to each other, figuring out what to do. And then Chris Pratt really sort of stepped up and became like the leader almost. And he was like, here's what we're going to do. You know, this is, this is a crisis and we're going to deal with it. Um, and it suddenly sort of felt like the guardians were real in a way, like having to deal with this thing. Um, and then, um, Kevin Feige, the head of Marvel gave us the script to read, um, not entirely sure why, actually, but um, it was, yeah, we definitely wanted to read it. So we, me and Pom got together in my house and read it at the same time because we were already like pretty upset about it all and we didn't want to read it on our own. Mm. So then we read it and we both kind of like cried at the same time and laughed at the same time. And yeah, everything was really resonating with us because obviously, you know, we'd, we'd lost our our guy, that the one that had given us these opportunities in the first place, and we feel so much loyalty towards him that it was like, oh, how can we do this? Yeah, I mean, it's such a resonant 
line. I mean, that, 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 as I say, that theme just runs all the way through the film. And it runs all the way through all the Guardians films. Like everyone in the Guardians lineup yeah. is there because they got a second chance in life. And yeah. it feels very apt that that was ultimately extended to James. And he's delivered this as a result. But I know. it's Yeah, we were so happy when that happened because we obviously felt like this should never have happened in the first place. And the whole thing is ridiculous frankly um but everything was put right and you know what it worked out because he's the head of dc now so <laughs> honestly couldn't have worked out better he, he, the, the boys played a blinder as they say i mean truly the outcome of this has been spectacular <laughs> it really has um What's it like when you were reading that script out loud with Palm? I mean, obviously there's the the emotional resonance to to consider, of course, but were you guys reading the script out loud? Were you doing no. voices? How how did it work? <laughs> no, no, we were just reading it uh, in silence. <laughs> I was not trying to play Star Lord and Drax. <laughs> I think you could. I think you could. Thank you. Thank you. I think you absolutely could. But the the finished product. Right now, Volume 3, I mean, I don't want to go too much into the spoilers, although this podcast comes out on the day of release, 5-5, both sides of the pond. Uh, uh, without giving anything away about where Nebula ends, I, I think she has one of the greatest arcs in the entire MCU. You know, if you'd said to me, whenever I first saw Guardians back in 2014, that she ends up where she ends up, I don't think yeah. I would have believed you. What, what about yourself? Honestly, same. <laughs> I uh, thought I was going to be working for eight days on the first film. Um, and then I thought that I wouldn't continue. And then it turns out that I was, you know, brought back and that was amazing. That felt like such a triumph. And then I was brought back again. And then basically, you know, Kevin Feige told me, you're going to be a really big part of Avengers Endgame. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> this character was meant to last for only a few days. Um, and actually, it was perfect for Endgame because I had read uh, Infin the Infinity Gauntlet, which is the comic that Endgame was based on. And that and the reason I read it is because Nebula, that's her biggest appearance in a comic. So yeah. that was pretty just fortunate. <laughs> um, and then... You know, in in this this installment of the Guardians, you know, this is post the death of her father Thanos, the source of all her trauma, so she can actually start to heal and and develop a little bit more of the personality that she should have had. Uh, so she's more humorous and light and a bit sillier like the other Guardians, um, and more able to show vulnerability and emotion. And she's a bit of a caretaker, and she's got a lot of love uh, for people, which never would have thought uh, if you know they had told me that right at the beginning. This film has got, again, such a strong emotional core running through it. What was the last day like for you? The last day of, of shooting? Was it a big day for, for Nebula? So there was the last day with all of us together, and then there was my real last day, which was actually a fairly insignificant little shot. <laughs> Which always happens. It's never scheduled in a way where, you know, you all say goodbye and then that's the actual end of the shoot. It'll be more like, oh, can you just like walk through that door? Done. Um, <laughs> so, but but the sort of big goodbye scene between all of us was really emotional. So that kind of feels like the end of the shoot in a way, because we were all in a room together, all the guardians, we were in our guardians uniforms and it felt like a goodbye scene of sorts. And we all just kept looking at each other, like the atmosphere in that room. I can't even tell you. It was like loaded because everyone was just like, like I felt like adrenaline coursing through my body because I was like, we're about to film the the end of the Guardians as we currently know them. 
and everyone was feeling it and and it was contagious and we were all just looking at each other with like these meaningful looks which made me cry um so it was a really emotional experience and but again like actually quite cathartic and and useful for the scene because we were meant to be sad in the scene and so none of us are acting really it was all genuine uh james mentioned yesterday that you know he knew going into this that certain that some of the cast didn't weren't going to come back beyond this I, i'm not going to talk about character fates or or whatever but where do you mm-hmm. stand uh right now on that uh, you know because uh, i imagine the makeup is is not something you look forward to but <laughs> the character is the character something you'd look forward to playing again one day perhaps well you know the makeup is a challenge don't get me wrong but like it is totally outweighed by like my obsession with playing this character like i love her However, continuing on without James feels a little strange because it's just, it's so him, it's his creation. It's, I mean, it's a collaboration between us, but his identity is all over these characters and these movies. And so I don't know, it would be hard to imagine without him. So I don't know, but I think there's a lot more to unpack still. So I would definitely, and, and working with Marvel is truly a dream gig. Oh. Like it's it's the best. I feel like so lucky to have gotten to be part of this whole MCU. So yeah, I would like to do it again. But also, if this is the final chapter, then that's okay because I think it's a nice conclusion for the character in this film. All right, and then very last thing, rap gift. Did you get a good rap gift? And what did you get other people as a rap gift? Um, oh, I got so many good gifts from other people, like. Uh, Chris gave us all stuff from his farm and all this fresh food, which was lovely. I gave James a a doodle um, or like an illustration that I had commissioned of Nebula dressed as Charlie Chaplin dancing in front of James Gunn and James Gunn looking scared of it. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Because he has a phobia of people doing impressions of Charlie Chaplin. No joke. Uh, That is the funniest, most specific phobia I've ever heard in my life. Like, if you were to do that in front of him, he'd be like, no, stop. But just the, the little tramp, but doing the, the, the cane the and, and the stuff, walk. Yeah. yeah, oh, he can't bear it. That, well, I've learned two things from this interview, and that may be the single greatest thing I've ever learned uh, in 11 years of doing this podcast. What a note in which to end. Uh, Karen Gillan, that is fantastic. Thanks, thanks so much indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. It was nice to see you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, so that was Karen Gillan, and we will be discussing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 later on in the show. Oh boy, will we be discussing that film uh, in a weekend that potentially has a very disappointing part three. That is not one of them. What's the disappointing part three? Yeah. You can you can work it out. No, I don't know what you mean, Chris. You, can, you need to explain. You can work it out. No, nope, still you can't work, work it out. out. Just having another slice of this delicious pizza from Pizza <laughs> Express. Not the walking branch, the branch in Greenwich. Okay. All right, let's talk about this week's movie news. June! No. June! June! No, there is something more important June! than... Babylon 5! Jesus Babylon H. Babylon 5 is a big pile of shit. Get out. <laughs> June! All in June course. <laughs> All in June course. There is something more important than, Surely not. than June Part 2. And there is something more important than, it says here, the Babylon 5 animated movie, Jesus <laughs> H. Christ. Bit of respect. Let's think outside the box, Lightner, shall we? Um, and talk about 
the writer's strike, oh, which yay. is happening yes. right now. We haven't really talked about this at all. Like, no. There's been a couple of hints. Maybe I cut them out. I can't remember uh, about this over the last couple of weeks that the Writers Guild of America, East and West branches, uh, were, have been in negotiation for some time with the pithily titled American Amped. Alliance. Uh, um, Galactic Empire, was it? Yes, the the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, AMPTP, uh, basically wanting a a fairer, better deal, a slice, a bigger slice of the pie, or even just a slice of the pie, a few crumbs specifically of, of the streaming the, pie. Of the pie. This is particularly the streaming pie. Uh, so they, this contract is up every three years. They negotiate a contract, and then every three years it, it gets renegotiated. And uh, and usually there's you know there's there's um, a bit of a distance between what the want and what the WGA want, but they they usually they usually resolve it. Mm-hmm. to everyone's general satisfaction. But not always. So 15 years ago, yeah. for example, 2008, there was, or was it 2007? End of, end of 2007. End of 2007. So it ran for 100 days mm-hmm. and then there was another writer's strike before that in around about 1987, 1988. Yeah. Uh, both of those writer's strikes um, hamstrung a Bond movie. Now there is no Bond movie in active production to be hamstrung by a writer's strike this time, um, but there are lots of other tentpoles that might oh, yeah. be hamstrung. Mm-hmm. We'll get on to those in a second. The Bond movies in question, by the way, were Licensed to Kill and Quantum of Solace. Yeah. Uh, one of them turned out well, the other one was Quantum of Solace. Uh, but <laughs> this is this seems like a much bigger, much more existential yes. uh, discussion slash argument between the WGA and the Amt and they were so far apart that uh, that the WGA felt that they had no uh, no other option but to strike. And they called a strike. It began the other day. Uh, and how long this one runs, I have mm. no idea. But it's going to have a significant seismic impact on the movie and TV industry. And I say quite rightly so, because yeah. they are fighting the good fight. They want to slice the streaming pie, obviously, but they want safeguards against AI basically doing us the all of a job. Mm-hmm. A- yet they want AI, artificial intelligence, struck hey, from existence. Hey, and having great. sat through that movie, <laughs> Don't you I'm even start fully with on board with them. Outrageous. I love that movie. No, but look, they have actually been very, very, um, very disciplined and very, very together on this. So that there were no leaks during the sort of negotiation period. They did not, there was no breaking of ranks. There was no dissent uh, publicized at all. Um, and then after the, the strike sort of got going, they put up a, a, a spreadsheet basically showing what their demands were and what the response was from AMPTPA. And, um, and, and many, many of their quite reasonable demands were met with a refu- refused to discuss and refused yes. to make a counter proposal. Yes. So it was just a blank wall on on you know again I think quite reasonable things. The point is that you know while you might get paid a reasonable weekly fee on these shows where you used to make let's say a 22 week long you know, well, not supernatural even or something, yeah, right? 22 and episodes. You'd be, you'd, yeah, 22 episodes. So, so you'd, you'd be employed for that. 8 months a year. Exactly. Now it's all mini rooms uh, in mm-hmm. in sort of development stage with a tiny, tiny number of writers mm-hmm. in them. They're they're paid for a very short space of time. They may not be paid promptly when things are in development because then they don't go forward. Writers may not be called writers; they may be called something they else. Be called so they can production they can be paid. assistant or yep. something, and may not be paid appropriately and mm-hmm. may not have the rights that writers get. Um, 
and residuals and, and royalties. Residuals have disappeared. Royalties Absolutely, have pretty much disappeared from that. streaming. Yeah. Um, it used to be, you know, if you're if you're let's say your sitcom got sold into Brazil or France, you would get another payment. Hmm. That kind of thing isn't happening anymore because let's say Netflix or whoever are just sort of buying worldwide rights up front for for less money than they would have paid up front originally, you know, so it's not mm-hmm. even like you're being sort of compensated that way. So basically it has become a, 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 a situation where writers are very successful. The situation successful. is not improved. Indeed. <laughs> well, quite the opposite. Writers of very, very successful TV and film are struggling to make ends meet. And yeah. that is not how it's supposed to work, guys. That is not going to produce consistently great work. And also writers are not being able to climb the ladder. So there is no, the sort of career progression that you mm-hmm. used to get just isn't happening anymore. So that's the kind of thing that the WGA is striking for. It all seems very reasonable. But it's also the existential threat of AI. It is genuine. That is is another big thing that they want. They want safeguards in place. And it's not just going to be them. It's going to be the DGA. There was, I read a tweet today that said that there was a big meeting yesterday with pretty much every single major union uh, of the creative arts who were on, mm-hmm. you know, yep. on board with the WGA. And the Screen Actors Guild contracts are up fairly soon. I think all these things run in cycles. So they all Hesh, come up at uh, the, the same time. The SAG and the DGA are up in the summer. And, and yeah. in, in in the previous, during the previous strike, basically, the WGA is kind of the canary in the coal mine. They go first. And mm-hmm. then, you know, their resolution and their will helps to inform what the, secu- the studios yes. will agree to with the DGA, with the SAG, and so on and so forth. But this, uh, it feels at the moment that there are a couple of things so um, that, that are much more important now than they were three years ago. Uh, one of them is the streaming thing. And I saw someone who was, uh, I can't remember names, I'm so sorry, I was just flicking through tweets, and I saw someone talking about this. It may have been Danny Strong, who was the showrunner on Dope Sick and was also an actor, of course. And he was saying, he was being interviewed, I think, by Variety and uh, on the on the picket line, I think in New York, I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, and he was saying that three years ago, because the pandemic was happening, you know, they kind of waived the, the importance of streaming for those negotiations just to get it through, to get it done because people were being deprived of work by the pandemic anyway. So they needed something to safeguard people's employee. And now it's a big thing. It's a big line in the sand. And another big line in the sand is AI, the recent rise of AI. Uh, because studios, this may shock you, hmm. uh, are being somewhat unscrupulous. Um, uh, and uh, it, there is a potential, genuine, huge existential threat facing pretty much every every industry well, but yeah. specifically specifically um, the creative industries at the moment because you know the, the technology is not quite there yet but it might be there soon where they could just say well, okay I don't want a screenplay Shane Black's not writing me a, a new screenplay so I'll just get a, a AI to write me a Shane Black script in the style of Shane Black and we'll be able to make it no one thinks it's quite there no, we're not what, there, but no, they know, want but safeguards what they're, what they're thinking, What they're thinking, what the, the immediate threat is more, you know, AI doing the first, yes. draft first drafts, yeah. adaptation of this book, yeah. let's say. Mm-hmm. And then a screenwriter being brought in to maybe make that readable and, you know, logical, but not then getting a credit. So the, the WGA proposals were not saying you can never use AI. They were saying that screenwriter who's essentially brought in to Gets make the computer thing into something human should get credit for that work. And that's, I mean, literally even that is the the studios are are complaining about. Ironically in all this, like I've been thinking about this whole AI situation as I think a lot of people have. The, The weird thing to me is I 
I remain to be convinced that AI is capable of truly moving things forward, like of, of creativity in that sense. I realize they can remix and redraft and do something in the style of something that maybe hasn't been done before, that it's a, a novel combination of things. I understand that. But what I don't think AI can do, and this goes for the studios who are using AI to predict box office and predict what should get a green light and predict this and that and the other. All that AI can do is is based on what has happened before. All it can do is say this structure worked for this film. It has no Therefore, imagination. It can't what you're imagine. It can't, it, can't. it can't create yeah. truly. It can't really innovate. But then a lot and of people worry, would argue don't either. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, I know. But this is this is my worry. I think you need the the problems that we have in Hollywood right now are only going to be made worse by AI either at the green light stage or at the script writing stage, because that will make things more and more and more stale, more and more familiar, more and more predictable. Mm -hmm. And people are going to stay home from cinemas. And then the studios, what we're seeing at the moment is they get more and more conservative with well, a small C and a big C, and they keep mm. trying to play the things that they quote unquote know will succeed and they keep getting diminishing returns because they're just doing the same thing over and over again. I think there is a real... I think the studios are are idiots uh, at the moment, and I think they're being driven Truc by they're people. They're being who, truculent. They're being they're being obstructive. They're being. They, but also, like just in, in general sense, even beyond this yeah. strike, I think they they are fundamentally driving their own business into the ground. Have and, they not seen the Terminator films? For, for right? fundamentally, have they not seen the Terminator? I mean, we're we're about to in a, in a few minutes. We're going to have an interview with Joe Russo. I conducted a few weeks ago, and uh, I've been trying to find a place to to use it. Uh, so we're going to use it this week. And in it, we talk about AI. Mm. And um, we didn't intend to talk about AI. We just kind of started talking about AI and the kind of the the the, the future proofing the film industry, right? And and you know, I'm not I'm not saying that AI equals bad automatically oh. or that it should be completely, you know, you know, or should be completely uh, discounted for use. It can be very useful as a tool. I have um, someone probably listening to this right now. There's a, a follower of mine who is very, very pro AI and um, he keeps saying, to, trying to convince me of its of its merits. And certainly in terms of things like being used as a screenwriting tool to help those who are maybe neurodivergent as screenwriters who maybe haven't been able to 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 get a screenplay written and mm. AI can can help, yeah, that's that's all fine. But I'm also in this interview with with Joe Russo. What starts off as quite a lighthearted chat becomes for me utterly terrifying. As I kind of realize that like, he 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 outlines this kind of nightmarish vision where you can come home one day, not right now, but in the near future, not too far away, not as far away as you might think, and literally go, all right. Uh, all right, I would like to watch tonight a rom-com uh, in the style of Billy Wilder, starring Marilyn Monroe and James Dean, uh, please. And, yep, yeah, okay, I'll go make dinner, and then that'll be ready for me to watch by the time I get back. And it'll be rendered pretty much in real time, yeah. pretty much photo real, and you can watch it, and, you know... Not a human hand has gone near that thing. There hasn't been a single spark of human creativity. This is where we are with art at the moment, isn't it? Because yeah. I mean, we played around with Mid Journey and whatnot in the office. You know, you know it was like, I, I, yeah, yeah, we talked I about. We like said, oh, we want a, we want Madonna as a Jedi Knight in the style of H.R. Geiger. This okay, is now Godfrey's I'm interested. Very specific thing. And it genuinely delivered that. And let me tell you, what it delivered was exactly what you dreamed that would be. And it was extraordinary. 
and so so there is an element of creativity, as Alex would be the first to say, that in that it's the guiding hand, isn't it? It's it's yeah. about the instructions and the refinement of how you do it. So it's not as if you say to the computer, do this, and it just does it. Like yeah. it requires iterations and tweaks and changes, and some of it is just nonsense. Like it's just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, you can't, it's incoherent because like the computer hands. can't tell the difference. Mm. But it's when you have things like when they were trying to sort of do, I guess, Turing tests on, on ChatGPT and they, they said, huh, I bet you can't complete a capture form, which is obviously designed specifically to weed out artificial intelligence. And so it went onto TaskMonkey and hired a human to complete it. <laughs> and at that point, I was like, oh my God, on August 29th Perfect. this year, we are all going to fucking die. So. Okay, but let's not be apocalyptic. I, I mean, that that is one of the things that they're fighting against. Yes. And the studio's response, by the way, to their concerns about AI was, we will put in place an annual, an annual meeting, meeting and let you know how it's going. An annual general yes, meeting. You can, you which, can meet with our AI studio heads I mean, who will then incinerate you. I mean, honestly, if you were going to replace anybody in the studio system with AI, I, you know, I feel like the studio execs would I mean, be higher up the yeah. list than the writers. This is, but it, oh, at, the, at, the, at the heart of it, this is just the age-old governed by greed situation. This is, this is you know, uh, you know the, the, the tale told throughout the generations yeah. where the people who are the ones who are creative, the people who actually have the, thing. the spark of creativity, who make the thing that you love, whether it's a film, a TV show, a song, a podcast, <laughs> a magazine, a novel, they don't get the money. No. It's the people who are uncreative. Yes. The higher ups, <laughs> the shall suits, we say. The bean the counters suits. at City Hall. Of course. I'm not thinking of anyone in particular here. But not. you know, you know, they're the ones who, who do. Like each of the, the what the six chief, six or eight chief execs of the six or eight members of Amptba. Right. Collectively, I can't remember how many it is. Let's say eight men. Collectively, they make about eight hundred million dollars a year, right? The entirety of the WGA's requests at their highest mm -hmm. would cost about 400 and something million dollars a year. I read 600. And you're saying yeah. you can't... No, I've read 400 yeah. a couple of times, but so okay. I don't know. But either way. Well, either way, it's more than any of us either are going way, to see in a while. No, but this is, that's for the entire membership. Yeah. So you could cover the yeah. entirety of their demands just from the single top executives pay at each company and those top executives would still be earning nine figures a year <laughs> you know i, I look, and, for, and for what for what yeah, making for, terrible decisions well quite look uh, in, quite often. Not, not a lot of them are, all, of them are very cases, very smart obviously we're not we're not tarring all, all studio executives mm. um with the with the same brush all ceos with the same brush but but yeah. most but, but look, I, it's, look, the, it's the writers i mean obviously i'm a big old lefty anyway and we are it, you know, to some degree noticed. writers ourselves but um but equally, I, I don't see well, if you're a film. If, <laughs> if you are a film fan, I, I really don't see how you don't support the WGA. In this. I don't. Yeah, I'm, I'm exactly with you in this one. I, I think it's it's ridiculous. You know, pretty much. You know, this podcast would be much shorter if we didn't quote movies incessantly on it. Um, and you know. For the most part, unless it's a Judd Apatow movie, uh, who, who do you think, huh. where do you think those lines came from? They were written by writers mm. who sat down, thought about it for at least five seconds, and then it came up with an absolute nugget of gold. Uh, and to paraphrase someone sitting not a million miles away from me, pay their wages, you absolute motherfuckers. <laughs> team writers. Team writers. Hashtag not team. Um, doop, 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 doop. Dude! Dude! <laughs> <laughs>
back to our reg- regularly scheduled Dune. Now we return to our regularly scheduled James wanking himself oh. into a frenzy over Dune it Part Two. It was so exciting, so wasn't good. it? It was so exciting. It was such a good trailer. Oh, I can't remember if I've seen it. <laughs> you can't oh, no, I did. Remember. I did. The little fellow was running after the big worm. The little fellow yes. was running after yeah. the big worm. Yeah. Yes. The little fellow. Timmy Two Meets. Timmy Two Meets. Timmy Two Meets. Riding a worm. Yes. Is it a treaties or a treaties? Because in the well. You say no, that, no. Yes, but in, the, tra- that. in the trailer, listen back to Flo Poo, Flo Poo, Florence Pugh, before she dies in a hail of bullets. Yes. In, in the Spoiler, that is how Flo, she dies. Pew, 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 pew. Uh, she says a treaty. Oh, Go she... back and watch it. Go well, back and watch it. Maybe she's saying we need to have an att- a treaty with the Atreides and she's trying to be funny. <laughs> maybe she is. Uh, <laughs> yes, it would be, be great to have <laughs> some humour in June. <laughs> it is a laugh riot. It really uh, is. Oh, Eight jokes in the last one we counted. It's we did, we counted. Beautiful. Oh, it was it was glorious. It's Fade, beautiful. Fade Ratha with big uh, big ball the energy. Yeah, I mean, okay, I I had a bit of like face blindness. Uh, I have to say for for him without his Elvis hair. Yeah, Austin I, Butler. Austin Butler. That yeah. is yes. Um, I I was like, is that him or is that just a a random Harkonnen? Like I couldn't quite figure it out at times. No, but that it, was it, him. it was him. I, that was I paused him. to make sure. Um, but yeah, he looks like part of the family with. With uh, Dave Bautista, the yep. Beast Raban, yep. and uh, Baron Harkonnen, Stellan Skarsgård, back in the fat suit. Uh, you know, it's um, they are not an attractive family. I'm just going to no, say that. No, they're not. There's I a, know. I think the the Lea Seydoux character is an interesting addition Indeed. to the mix. And, Indeed, and, uh, she is she one of them. Well, she's kind of cozying up a little bit to Fade Rautha, so you know, you have mm. to wonder what's going on there. I'm intrigued by that. That's interesting because because so, so Fade Rautha, Rautha or Rautha, Rautha, Fade Rautha. Uh, so played by Austin Butler, he was a character played by Sting in the Big Space Nappy. Yes, he was in the bottle uh, in the in the last one. Yes, right. Correct. Uh, but correct. now, you know, so the, I'm su- I'm surprised, but also impressed that they 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 resisted the urge to like have a a hot. What's the what's the species? What's the family called? It's Harkonnen. 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 Yeah. like a hot Harkonnen, right? Oh, oh. you know, yeah. Because Sting in that movie, like, you know, oh, like, I like he's, he's in great shape in that movie, but like, I feel like he's very much not going for hot. Yeah, I, I feel like that's very much not where his his characterization was aimed. Yeah, very much more in the um, complete fucking psycho territory. Yeah. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. But mm. look, I'm I'm super excited. So basically, now we have Paul and his mum, of course, Rebecca Ferguson's Jessica, um, have embedded themselves with the people of the desert, with the Fremen. The Fremen. Um, they're hanging out with Zendaya's Chani and they're riding worms. Chani, yeah, Chani, and Javier Bardem, <laughs> Stilgar. They're hanging out. They're learning the ways of the people. Richard Stilgo. Still go. Oh right, okay. <laughs> so it's like, we just still go on the piano. You heathen. Yeah. Uh, and 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 yeah, learning how to ride. There'll worms. be fadiking. <gasps> there'll be worm riding. <gasps> there'll be. I mean, frankly, the Padishah Emperor Shaddam the Fourth in the form of Christopher Walken, for God's oh, sake. Wow. <gasps> yeah. Too nice. Walk without rhythm, wait. and you won't attract the worm. It's true. Uh, oh, and and Timmy Two Meets gets his, gets his thumper on. Which I is, beg which your pardon. Nice. That's what you see in the trailer. Yes, he whips the his thumper out. And, yep. and, and, uh, has a, has a, and he, he has a ride of the worm. He rides the graboid. It's uh, it's all very very exciting. It looks it looks tremendous. It looks I have stunning. To say. It, it sounds stunning. stunning. Yeah. Everything about it glorious. Yes, Denis Villeneuve yeah. reinforcing his credentials as the second greatest Villeneuve after Shaq Villeneuve. Although Shaq Villeneuve mean, also a good Villeneuve. Yeah, but like. Did they direct Dune Part One? No. No, so no but did Denis the win best? the Formula One World Championship? 
Yes. Yes. He did. Oh, okay. With June case. part one. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's exactly what happened. He was riding a sandworm. Okay. Uh, looks good. Shai Hulud, the old man of the desert. Yeah. People, some people hyped. were asking for a trailer breakdown. We don't have the yeah. time. Honestly, we it would just be us going, that looked yeah. good. And I like this bit. And also this bit. I thought this bit was great. Indeed. I to mean, anyone who does not love this trailer, I say to you, may your blade chip and shatter. Wow. Steady on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good stuff. That was a lot less time on the June Part Look, 2 trailer. all we you, have to say is Admirable like restraint. Stuff, yeah. you know? all, all we have is vowel sounds, really. That's all we have for you. It's June. just... June. Oh, oh no. my God, June. Uh, pass out. Yeah. Oh, dear yeah. Lord. It was, okay. it was glorious. It really was. Speaking of glorious, uh-huh. there's oh, a Babylon Lord. 5 animated film in there the works. There is. Who oh. saw this coming? But, but I didn't, because he's been trying to reboot the series for ages. And who is he, James? He's J. Michael Straczynski, the creator of Babylon 5, which is not, contrary to popular opinion, a big pile of shit. It's very good. Uh, I would say the effects have aged abominably. Very bad. But, they were bad uh, at the time. Yeah. Well, it was because they were done on an Atari ST, I believe using Lightwave. But they, um, uh, yeah, where, where Star Trek was very model-based, Babylon 5 was pioneering visual effects and most things that pioneered visual effects or uh, look terrible these yeah, days. So, yeah. yeah, that's not unfair. Um, but uh, everything inside the station where it was model effects and stuff Londomalari. looks... Londomalari and all the rest look, <laughs> looked great. Uh, and uh, and I, I just didn't see this coming. I didn't think no. this was a thing. I didn't think this was going to happen. I don't know how to feel except excited. I, well, I'd like, I I was really holding out for the, because he said before, like, that if he did Babylon 5 now, it would feel a lot like The Expanse. So instantly I was like, oh my God. I mean, it felt like a uh, bit like The Expanse at the time. A bit at the time, time but much more honest. so now. And yeah. I was just like, yes, I'm here for this. And then an, an animated movie, like, it's great, but I'm having none of that. I know you don't like, oh, yes, it's very good. Um, I know you don't like animation just as a concept yeah. uh, and we've had discussions uh, and if you listen to the Pilot Plus Picard spoiler special that is you'll, true. you'll hear two people peer pressuring James to watch Lower Decks at least yeah. the Babylon uh, uh, sorry uh, <laughs> at least the Deep Space Nine episode but um but look, this is exciting. I think he's got, you know, some of the surviving cast. Sadly, we have, of course, lost some stalwarts yes. um, back together for, for voice parts here. And he promises uh, a ton of fun, fun through time and space and a love letter to fans. That's kind of an interesting... Time and space line is, is mm. kind of interesting. Uh, for those who don't know what the frick we're talking about... <laughs> Uh, Babylon 5 was a space station at the dawn of the, the third age of mankind. The last best hope for peace. The last best hope for peace. So basically the idea There's was that no uh, alien races would maintain an embassy there rather than, say, maintaining one on Earth. And then they could talk to each other and talk to humanity and try and keep the peace. Um, a space a UN. A space UN. At a time when, when war threatened. And, uh, and yeah, this was the story of the ambassadors, the various ambassadors, the various space stations uh, leadership, um, and loads of like really sinister dudes popping up from Earth, including like Walter Conning from uh, from Star Trek as a genuinely terrifying um, telepath. So uh, it was a great, great show. It's not a big pile of shit. Honestly, and it was one of the first sci-fi shows to have a, a proper arc. Yes, a five-year plan, which unfortunately didn't go entirely. It got a little bit plan. derailed. Yeah. Uh, but that was not his fault at all. Mm. Uh, yeah, it was gross. But the, I mean, the question on everyone's minds, really, Helen, is: Will this be the occasion for your long-awaited Babsock reunion, <laughs> where you get the gang back together to watch it? Literally, don't know who any of them were, apart from my friend. What be like the event? You you'll be turning up at their house. You don't know their like, names. Yeah. No. 
Why I not? Went to, I just oh, you, went. You touched on turn the lights. I out. went to Babsock to watch the episode. <laughs> uh-huh. That's all I went for. No, it'll be it'll be it'll be like the event. You'll turn up on each of their doorsteps. Say, I'm putting together a team <laughs> to watch the Babylon Five animated movie. Yeah. Would you like to come over? I think it could work. Yeah. And uh, James, you've reunited Wanksock, haven't you, for the June part two trailer? <laughs> Shout out to that gag from how many years ago? Jesus, anyway. Um, one thing we didn't talk about with the writer's strike mm. was the impact on Hollywood going forward. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's, it's, it, it could be pretty major, it right? Could. Because the landscape is very different from when it was back in 2007, 2008, uh, when there wasn't, at that time, just an MCU for yeah. example uh, there wasn't the DC EU with you know many many projects they, they, they announced three Star Wars movies at Star Wars Celebration uh, a month ago and now no one's going to write them no one can write no one yep. can do any work on those projects I mean they could hire a writer who is non-WGA affiliated yeah, or Jenna Ortega uh, is probably uh, available to punch up all sorts of stuff uh, they could hire someone who's non-WGA but affiliated but then that person they, would kind of be a scab precisely and that person would never be recognised by the guild lest again. we forget as was pointed out on Twitter and as I retweeted during the last writer's strike Jesse Plemons killed a man and he will do it again so this is the reference to Friday Night Lights yes. season 2 which is character killed a man and because they were basically panicking and then when everything went back to normal they just ignored no, it no one ever spoke no one it ever was just, I mean it's it was a bad season a in a great horror show. show that second season yeah. it's half length because obviously they stop halfway through but it was one of these things where it's just like it was almost the best thing that could have happened that they stopped because it was going so off the rails but also but, I mean that it wasn't alone you know um, Battlestar Galactica yep. got Heroes derailed. got derailed he- Heroes never mm-hmm. really recovered no it didn't Lost got derailed yeah. um, the, 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 the late night shows basically all had to go off the air for a certain amount of time and a lot of shows never returned because they lost their audience during it and were never given the opportunity to get them back and of course one of the biggest impacts of that was that I believe I read this this week that the Celebrity Apprentice was um, the the one that had Donald Trump as host was on the verge of cancellation or or had been cancelled or something like that or or was commissioned as a result of because they needed to fill the void left by you know, suddenly none of their shows being in production uh, and because of that they they commissioned Celebrity Apprentice that turned Donald Trump into a huge media star um, luckily that never more so broke the world and then broke the world uh, um, uh, you know, Justice League as well um, George Miller's Justice League George Miller's Justice League we lost that because of the writer's strike in 2007-2008 in mm. um, and and yet it is absolutely possible that some of these big films will Will fall, will will die on the vine because yeah. they need rewrites to happen in the next three months to make a certain deadline, and that's not going to be possible potentially so, if this writer, if this strike goes on as long as the last one did, which was a hundred days. And certainly the rhetoric coming out from the WGA is that they're they're in for the long haul, mm-hmm. and, which is an incredible thing for them because they are you know a lot of these people don't aren't making money yeah, and they're they're doing it yeah. they're absolutely doing it to kind of safeguard um, rights for the next generation of of, of writers uh, and. And I suspect that the DGA and the and, and SAG may well throw their lot in with them as well. well the um, Teamsters have thrown their lot. The Teamsters have, yeah. Um, so anyway, the, the the point is that there's loads and loads of movies in development for that are meant to be coming out in 2024, about to start shooting 2024, 2025, 2026, and so on. And suddenly now you can't do any work yeah. on the script. And a lot of these are, you know, say, for example, the MCU, in which, you know, there's a lot of work, you know, fairly famously done during production on screenplays. So what are you going to do? This week it was announced that uh, Nick Pizzolatto, who is the creator of True Detective, has been 
hired to punch up the script for Blade. Well, not anymore, he ain't. You know? Yeah, not currently. Not yeah. currently, not right now. This, yeah, I, I said this on our Guardian spoiler special, which obviously won't be out for a little while. Guardian 3 spoiler special. We recorded it yesterday because I'm away next week, I think. Um, and we were talking about Deadpool 3. Deadpool 3 is hiring people, so uh, this week as well. This is a great way of folding lots of movie folding, news, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Rob Delaney is coming back as Peter. Uh, from Deadpool 2 and I am very 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 excited about that but how is Deadpool 3 going to work yeah. I mean it's, it's, it's got a screenplay but both Deadpool movies were a little bit in flux during production Ryan Reynolds is famously improvisational guy he likes to throw things out and try things and see what see what works can he do that I mean you can improvise to an extent, but how much is of improvisation is improvisation? How much of it is authorial? Can you, though? Like, can if you, you are also a writer and you're a Guild member, can you improvise? Well, that's why the last time the late night show hosts all went off the air. Mm. Um, and until many of them actually worked out their own deals with the Guild for their own. I mean, is that writing? Is it considered writing yeah, but, if you just toss a line out? Well, that's the question. You know? Yeah. So there's lots of stuff going on. You know, it's going to affect Fantastic Four and and, and all kinds of it, things. The Avengers movies, Jeff Loveness, the writer of Avengers, The Kang Dynasty, he tweeted the other day, but basically saying, pay us. Yeah. Uh, wasn't directed necessarily at Marvel, it was directed at... Uh, and, you know... I think it, it's interesting. I mean, writer strikes in historically have sometimes had very bad effects on films in production sometimes had very good effects down the line. So the, the bad effects are obviously the films where, my God, the script needs another pass or two passes and the the studio goes, you know what, we're just going ahead with this mm. anyway. And we have had some very bad blockbusters that have come out as a mm-hmm. result of not having that time to polish in the writer's strike. And of course, freaking heroes, never forget, never forgive. Um, mm. But then we've also sometimes, if the studios actually pay attention to what's happening, uh, some writers will be using the writer's strike time to just work on personal projects, to just do things for themselves. And there have been writer strikes in the past where you have come out with incredible spec scripts out the back of it, where people have just come up with great ideas and written great scripts, you know, off their own back, completely unpaid, completely not breaking the strike, not breaking the lines. But two, three, four, five months after the writer's strike is finished, is concluded, they have gone to the studios and gone, I have this great idea. And, you know, bish, bosh, bosh, we've got amazing films. Um, so I hope that there will be writers who get the the time, the headspace, as well as being on the picket line to to come up with that kind of thing. Um, and that there is, you know, that good thing comes out of this as well, because, my God, we need more original Hollywood movies and original stuff happening um, I don't know I've always been you know a bit Pollyannaish about Hollywood but I'm really having trouble recently just feeling a bit worn down by you know sequels prequels IP everything else I don't think you are alone in that I don't think I am having said that Gladiator sequel oh wow what a segue what a thank segue. you thank you I'm I, I don't know what this movie is I don't really understand it but as well as Paul Mescal Barry Keoghan uh Denzel Washington, we've now got Joseph Quinn, um, we've now got Connie Nielsen has confirmed she's going to be back as Lucilla, and we've got Pedro frickin' Pascal in there as yeah. well. It's Are like we they're determined to give something to everybody. Hmm. The Sandalorian. <laughs> Sandalorian. Write wow. that down. Write that down, Ridley. But, yeah. but then throw it away because you didn't get it. Don't write it down. Oh, Ridley, God, don't write no. it down. Actually, Ridley's not a member of the WJ, right? Ridley, write that down. 
He listened. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about that. It's it's looking good, it right? That's a good that, cast. That's a good-looking cast. That, that is, is a good cast. Uh, no idea who's playing, but that's that's exciting, and that is actually happening. Gladiator Two is happening, <laughs> uh, despite the fact that the Gladiator that it is the sequel to is um. Is it just? Did it have a, an official title? It's not just Gladiator Two. At the moment, it's just Gladiator. Gladiator two. colon. It'll be wherever something I may roam. Elysium. Yes, <laughs> wherever I may roam. That's good. I like that. Uh, yeah, what they're going to call the cliffhanger reboot, on the other hand is up for debate because it yeah. seems to be one of those reboots that's also uh, a sequel, so mm-hmm. a requel. Uh, so this is the news this week that Sly Stallone is going to return as Gabe Walker? Yes, Gabe Walker, <laughs> uh, who was his his character in the 1993 action classic directed by Rennie Harlan, Cliffhanger. Uh, and this one's going to be directed by Rick Roman Wall, uh, and they're going to be filming in the Italian Alps, which mm. is exciting. And uh, Wall is actually the noise you make when you fall off a mountain in the Italian <laughs> Alps. So this is really, really nice. I'm I'm intrigued by this. I, w- I want to know what they're going to, how they're going to make it look. Like because uh, I feel like we've we've seen we as a society have probably seen more climbing documentaries <laughs> we, we live in a since the first one. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I don't think I feel like when the first one came out, like. There weren't a lot of like major mainstream climbing documentaries like there have been in the last few years. Like I got really into it watching uh, Valley Uprising and then going, s- uh, then Free Solo and mm-hmm. then the other one um, with Alex, <laughs> Alex Honnold and your man climbing, um, climbing El Capitan again, but as a pair. Anyway, it's a great. Yes, one. that one. But um, it's not as good as Free Solo. But um, but like you know, so you need to bring us some of that energy. I feel like if you're going to do another cliffhanger movie. Um, which they are. Of course they are. Anything else real quick? No? No? I Let's think those are the essentials. Yeah, there, yeah there those are the essentials. Other things, but none of them are Dune, so it's fine. None of them are Dune, part two. Thank God they finished before the writer's strike, eh, Jimbo? Part two! Well, Frank Herbert wrote it years ago, so we're fine. This is true. Just, you know, have uh, Elvis read out the book. We've been totally fine. Elvis Finger and Timmy Toomeats reading out the book. Uh, let's have our final guest this week. Let's have Joe Russo. Hooray. Joe Russo, of course, he is one half of the Russo brothers. Anthony Russo is the other half of the Russo brothers. They made a few films you may have seen and liked over the last few years. Uh, since leaving Marvel and the MCU behind with Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, they have struck out on their own with Agbo Studios and as directors they've made the likes of Cherry and last year's The Grey Man uh, and they've also got Citadel on Amazon Prime right now Jimbo in fact I believe Joe Russo was a guest on, on last week's Pilot TV he was indeed podcast despite me having reviewed Citadel <laughs> yes <laughs> but man. there we go I don't think he listens um, unlike Ridley who listens to this assiduously <laughs> yeah uh, and uh, um was it talking about? Anyway, so as well as doing all that sort of stuff, uh, Joe Russo is, a, is also a uh, heavily involved in setting up and nurturing the St Andrews International Film Festival, uh, or Sands, the Sands Film Festival, up in St Andrews in Scotland. Yes, St Andrews, the home of golf, and uh, it's where Joe Russo's daughter went to film school. Uh, a few years ago and has a renowned film school would you believe and so he decided to kind of help establish this this film festival it's now in his second year this took place a few weeks ago so I don't know why I'm publicising a film festival you can't go to but you can go to the third edition of the Sands Film Festival when it is when it takes place next year anyway so uh, 
uh, the intent was that I was going to go to St. Andrews again. I did last year uh, and sit down with Joe Russo and have a big old in-depth chat. Didn't work out because I couldn't go uh, for various reasons. But he agreed to jump onto Zoom with me and have a big old chat. Along the way, we have the terrifying existential uh, dread of the AI conversation. But we talk about a whole bunch of other stuff as well. And as always with Joe Russo, uh, although he is film Twitter's favorite pinata, I, I find I always find him to be a very, very interesting and enjoyable interviewee. So here we go. Joe Russo, do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined in the Empire podcast by Joe Russo, the granddaddy of all things Sands Film Festival. How are you, sir? Good, very good. <laughs> good, good, good. How is it up there? Because I, I, I miss it intensely this year. I couldn't make it. It's great. It's beautiful today. I'm staring out at the same view that you and I had last year over the old course, and it's just, uh, it's just stunning. Do you get a chance to get get out there, Joe? I mean, are you, are you a golfer? I'm not. I, I, I'm a golfer. I'm a terrible golfer. Um, but uh, you know, I, I will play when uh, when I can. And uh, no, I have never played the old course. Really? I don't, I don't think I'm good enough either to play the old course. You have to have a certain handicap to play the old course, I believe. That's right. Yeah. I, I'm an unhandicapped golfer. I refuse to keep score. It's more of a meditative exercise for me <laughs> than a competitive exercise. That is wild. That is wild. So you never you never discussed golf with Sam Jackson whenever you were no. working with him. Oh god, no. He would uh, he would he would he would clean the floor with me. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, welcome back to Sands, even though I can't be there. How how was it this year, the second year? It's great. It's fantastic. It's growing. Um, uh, you know, it's w- what I like about it is there's a there's this bespoke nature to it. It's calm. You're in an academic environment. There's really thoughtful questions from the audience, uh, and it just seems like a calm place for filmmakers to come and and uh, you know build a community with each other and uh, um, get some guidance and uh, get some exposure get some feedback. And uh, so it's really, it's been very successful this year. It must be incredibly difficult to build something like this from the ground up when you have so many film festivals that are established and suck up so much of the oxygen in the room. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really about what your goal is, what you're trying to accomplish. And I think ultimately, um, uh, you know, this is the, the, we talked about this in the past, the karmic debt that we owe the universe from, you know, Steven Soderbergh, offering mentorship to us. It's just trying to give back and um, um, give an opportunity to emerging voices. And so I, you know, it's, 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 it's not a, you know, there's nothing corporate about this experience, right? It's purely a filmmaker experience. And so I I think if that's our focus is to, you know, really protect the filmmakers, um, uh, then it's just, you know, we're not chasing those other festivals. Are you getting the chance to actually talk and engage with filmmakers uh, this year yeah, as well? Yeah, this came from a, a really great chat with uh, um, a few of the filmmakers, just talking about you know um, where I see the uh, you know the industry going, and um, you know asking them what kind of uh, uh, help they need and what what you know what the focus is for them. What uh, you know, I'm a big fan of asking people, "What's your five year goal? Where do you want to be five years from now?" and then take the necessary steps to achieve that goal. So you have focus and, you know, level of discipline to your, your forward momentum. That's interesting because I, I want to pick up on that in a second, but uh, uh, what you're saying about where the industry is, because, you know, we, you and I have talked in the past and, and you have, I think, fairly interesting views about where cinema is going uh, in general. Um, some people might say even slightly pessimistic views about where cinema is going in general. 
Yeah, I mean, I I think it's pessimistic if you're tied to the past, right? But if you're compelled by what's coming, stories have been around for thousands of years. They're not going anywhere. They're just going to find a different way to, you know, it's a cave painting evolved, uh, you know, and at some point we're going to evolve to the next phase of what storytelling is. And I think all I can do is talk from my position where I sit and what I've learned on the journey I've been on. Uh, and I just try to speak frankly about it because I'm more interested in, you know, um, giving people pragmatic advice or practical advice than, you know, um, Ill, ill-advised, um, you know, filling their head with sort of, you know, ill-advised or, um, uh, untrue, uh, ideas about, um, you know, how I think stories are going to exist moving forward. So, you know, I've, I've gone on record and, you know, people always seem to get upset when I do, but... <laughs> You know, I just say that I think that Gen Z in particular is going to be a driver of uh, disruption in the storytelling space because of their uh, the volume of of information that they um, they absorb and and the manner in which they absorb it and their uh, uh, you know their ability their uh, their 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 ability to understand and their knowledge of technology right, is exponentially greater than any generations come before it. So when they become the um, primary consumers, I think that they're going to bring a lot of changes with them. Does it bring with it a sort of, is there an existential threat uh, as well as sometimes the industry has to to learn to cope with? I'm thinking, for example, in the in the years since we, well, we spoke obviously in the, on the Grey Man, but in the years since we last spoke at, at, at Sands, you know, chat GPT has become a big thing. AI has become a big thing. The you know the Writers Guild is trying to take steps to stop studios from <laughs> from having scripts and storylines written by AI technology, and that must be something that that is is a very real lurking threat for you guys. Without question, right? Because you know, it's what I've been talking about for the last few years is that I've, you know, we in a position that we're in, we get to see behind the scenes of where technology is going. People bring us technology we're on the boards of certain technology companies. So we, you know, we have a peek behind the curtain. So we knew it was coming. Um, and I think, uh, you know, chat GPT, AI, uh, um, assisting humans might be, one of the most consequential um, um, events, technological events in, in in history, right? I don't know that anything is going to be more uh, impactful or profoundly change the way that we live our lives than AI. Now, the problem is it's coming no matter what, right? If Even if we're afraid of it, even if we don't want it, um, uh, we're either going to enact it or somebody who is not uh, an ally of ours is going to um, uh, push it forward. And so we we have to start figuring out how we're going to live in that world because it's coming. Um, and, you know, I'm on the board of an AI company whose specific goal is to create, I know this sounds like science fiction movie, but this is what's happening. It's, their goal is to create good AI to protect you from bad AI because you're going to need an, an AI protector in the future. Now you're right. There is going to be an existential threat to to all industries, right? Mm. It can disrupt all industries uh, because uh, it's more efficient. Doesn't need to sleep. It can work twenty four seven. You know, there's a lot of things about AI. It's highly intelligent. 
Um, uh, you know, so there's a lot of things about AI that uh, that could disrupt every industry. We do have to start asking ourselves the questions of, well, you know, where will humanity be if we don't protect it? And what are the steps we can take to protect it um, uh, moving forward? And I think you're right that every industry has to dig in now and say that AI is going to be a tool that services um, humans, that services, uh, uh, you know, the greater good uh, rather than one that replaces. Uh, because if it does start to replace us, well, you know, I think you can just follow the line of reasoning to, um, you know, a, a world with a much smaller population uh, and one that, you know, maybe at some point is, uh, AI yeah, doesn't feel we're, we're necessary anymore. Is yeah, that's that's the big existential threat. <laughs> that's the ultimate one. Yeah, it's always a fun chat with you, Joe. Really. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, that's all right. No, no, it's fine. It's a Sunday morning. It's, this is the the time exactly. for for big topics. Uh, you've obviously worked with uh, Marcus and McFeely very very closely. Were you have you ever been tempted to replace them with AI writers? Uh, no, but we did sit on set uh, uh, and uh, um, with ChatGPT a few months ago. And asked it to write a scene and gave it prompts and you know, and we all kind of sat there and looked at each other and went, "Look, it's not terrible. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, it's a little worrisome because uh, the scene wasn't terrible. It wasn't great, uh, right. um, but uh, you know, it's going it's going to it's going to get good very quickly." Yikes! So they're 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 the ones who are trying to unplug the machine, <laughs> basically. But- it can replace us as well. I mean, this is, you know, AI can replace everybody. So um, if, if ultimately you said to you know, an AI direct, say, an Avengers Endgame in the style of the Russo brothers, do you think one day it might actually be able to do a shot for shot? I mean, you're seeing style of uh, art being created by AI, and it's pretty entertaining, right? I don't know if you saw the uh, Wes Anderson does uh, Marvel, uh, uh, but uh, I was like, I'll, I'll watch that movie. <laughs> The um, uh, I, I I do think there's a couple of things that are happening that the this is where the danger lies, right? When you know, I don't know if you know much about the Unreal Engine that was created by Epic, right? But this is a gaming engine that is striving for photo real quality at real time, and it's getting very close to that. And th- this is where you get into the, you know, Elon Musk. I think of two or three years ago talked a little bit about the, you know. Can we tell whether we're in a simulation or not in a simulation? Because when you're working with an engine that's photo real, um, well, then what separates you know reality uh, um, from the engine? Uh, and when you have a photo real engine that um, that uh, that can render real time, um, so basically can create a virtual world that looks just like our world, and then you assign an AI to it. To tell a story in it using photoreal avatars or you know really you know photoreal representations, uh, then it 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 can direct, it can write, it can do whatever you want it to do. It could just take the elements of that uh, virtual world and and, uh, and and you know create a story for you. So you could literally walk home and instead of Netflix, you have an AI app and you say, "Hey, I had a really rough day. I want a rom com starring me and Marilyn Monroe." And, uh, you know, within uh, seconds, it renders, uh, you know, a 90-minute um, rom-com starring you and Mar- Marilyn Monroe. Uh, and it's competent and, you know, sort of 
appeals to all the things that make you feel better about your day and, and you know, uh, which makes you attracted to wanting to use it more. That is faintly terrifying, <laughs> I have to say. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Uh, but that's why I said, like, I think it's the, it's the, you know, we're going to have to draw a line in the sand and draw a line quickly mm. and make, to make AI service us rather than vice versa. Absolutely. Well, uh, th- th- let's talk about five-year plans. Uh, assuming, of course, any of us are still alive in five years from now. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, let's talk about five-year plans. When you talk about there, you, you want to talk about filmmakers. When you're asking, when you talk to filmmakers, you ask them, where do you see yourself in five years' time? Uh, we are now coming up on nearly five years since Endgame and since you and Anthony uh, and Marcus McFeely officially left the MCU. Obviously, Agbo was a going concern before that, but to, to really concentrate full-time on, on Agbo. Uh, where did you see yourself in five years from Endgame, from leaving Marvel? And, uh, and are you close to that? And have you hit it or have you even gone past it? I think we're exactly where we wanted to be, which is, you know, uh, um, with our own company, controlling our own destiny, well-financed, uh, and uh, telling original stories, uh, and uh, helping emerging filmmakers like the Daniels. I mean, I think we're, you know, we're checking every box that we uh, we set out uh, to check on our, on our, on our goal sheet. Um, so, you know, we're very happy uh, with, uh, with where we are. What have been the unexpected successes? I mean, you, you mentioned there, the Daniels, everything, everywhere, all at once, did incredibly well. Perhaps I'm guessing a lot better than you guys were even hoping for when you when you signed yeah, on to that movie. I mean, it certainly came from humble beginnings. I mean, it was a you know, I I, I watched Swiss Army Man, um, I loved it. Uh, you know, we're at uh, uh, you know, at a healthy point with with Agbo where. You know, we had our financing and I called those guys and said, listen, you know, Steven Soderbergh called us years ago and said, uh, you know, I'm going to write you a check. Just tell me what it is you want to do. And I'm going to make the same offer to you. And at some point you're going to have to make the same offer to somebody else. And um, um, what do you want to do? And they thought about it and we had a lunch and they sat down and said, look, you know, it's, 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 it seems to make a lot of sense to want to do an action movie with you guys. So we have an idea for an action film. And we want to be very delicate with the development process because they're so unique and inventive. And that's what we responded to about the film, the, the incredible acumen for, you know, doing practical effects or, you know, hilarious VFX that, uh, you know, at, at a budget that is shocking, you know, mm. spent years um, in, in uh, the video and um, commercial space building out uh, a team of people that, um, that help them execute their vision. Uh, um, and so the process was really simple with them, which was, um, uh, you know, developing an outline, putting their ideas down on paper, keeping it in a really malleable format, a couple of pages. Um, once they were comfortable with the story they wanted to tell, and there were lots of crazy rules that they had to build out for that world. So it took a while. It was a lot of iterative um, conversations. They then uh, went to a script and wrote a very long draft of a script. But I think that, again, it's part of their process. They were just building out the world and building out the Bible and putting every crazy idea that they had into it. So it was well over 200 pages. Uh, and then we just, over time, would just sit in a room together and read the script out loud and just talk about, you know, what are you trying to accomplish here? What do you want to say? You know, if this, okay, so if, you feel the story is X, then this story point that is happening 
on page 60, if that moved up to page 30, um, uh, you, you might create more propulsion in, in, in the storytelling. And we don't know how you get there. We don't want to tell you what to cut, but go think about it. Because if you figure out how to get it, you know, your page countdown. And, and so it was, a, it was a very delicate process over time. And slowly the script came down to about 135, 140 pages. And which point we started working on casting with them. The script was originally conceived for Jackie Chan. So we paid for them to fly to China and sit with Jackie. And that's probably the most important moment in the life of that project. This is where you talk about, like, do you, do you expect things to happen? Well, you know, you have no idea, right? Because everything has a life of its own. He said no. And um, they were so invested in him uh, um, playing that part that it, it became a very interesting moment where, um, uh, you know, they could have pivoted to try to figure out, well, who else can do what Jackie Chan can do? Uh, um, what other male actor can do that? But instead, they um, they went through a really meditative exercise and said, you know what, we think that the story is actually more interesting uh, if if we change the lead to a female and we pursue Michelle Yeoh. Uh, and it changed the entire project, I think. Um, it added a, another dimension to it. It elevated um, the storytelling. Uh, and um, you know, as casting pieces came in, um, we then turned over the movie to A24 and they financed it. And we disappeared to go shoot the gray man and the guys went off to make uh, everything everywhere. In between the, in, in the last year since since we last spoke at this at this festival, the gray man came. Mm -hmm. What was your what was your take on how it was received and did it do what you wanted it to do? I mean, it did. It did what we wanted it to do. It was seen by a lot of people. It was seen by 120 million plus people over the first five or six weeks of the release of it. Um, um, and again, that's our our focus is getting movies out to a wide audience. You know, telling our stories to a broad uh, swath of people. Uh, um, and uh, you know, I, you have to you have to care about that that sort of cult, those cultural moments um, um, to, uh, to, you know, want, want to go that theatrical route, right? It has to be an agenda of yours is where well, I really want that cultural moment. Streaming, the streaming model is not built specific, specifically Netflix for that moment because they're a volume player, right? So it's about the turnover. It's about the fact that you keep watching things on it. And by watching things on it, you keep paying for it, right? So if you understand that going into it, right, then you're fine with and you're okay with, you know, uh, not getting that same cultural moment you get theatrically, then great. It, it's going to line up perfectly for what you want. That was our choice on The Gray Man. We felt like, you know, again, great partner. They support things financially. They stay out of your hair. We had a great experience making it. We had a great experience releasing it. And I probably got more texts on that over a week period than I did on, uh, uh, you know, Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame, because the saturation level is very, very high. It's very concentrated very quickly. Yeah. Um, I don't know that, you know, the media is necessarily connected to the general audience in the same way that it used to be. I think that everything is becoming bifurcated. I think that everything is getting very noisy. Uh, and I think that everything is being pushed to extremes, including the way people feel about movies or stories in general. 
just seems to be like an endless, you know, conversation where the voice is getting louder and louder and louder and people are shouting over each other in the room. We try to stay connected to that general global audience that doesn't really particularly pay attention to that conversation. That's of interest to us. I'm more interested in what a tuk tuk driver thinks of what our movie did than, you know, um, um, a, you know, a more uh, uh, elite voice. <laughs> Say, for example, you and Anthony decided to start a, your own Rooster Brothers Film Festival. How yes. would you program it? Would you go chronologically or would you, uh, would you like to do, do a, take a more scattershot approach to things? What would your opening and closing night films be, for example? Oh, wow. I'd take a more scattershot. No, I don't know. I think chronological may be more educational. Um, nobody's seen our first movie pieces. It never got released. We yeah. made it for $35,000 and then put a million dollars of music in it because we were ignorant of the business. And then, you know, the economics just didn't make sense for any small distributor to pick up the movie and release it. Also not tremendously well-received. I mean, I remember there was a, a critic who saw it at one of the festivals who said that we should get a shovel and bury it in the backyard. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, the only way, you know, the, the, when we screened it at slam dance, it's like two thirds of the audience walked out by the end of the movie. But thank God that in the remaining one third was Steven Soderbergh, who actually liked really odd, nonlinear experimental films. So I think it would be interesting to see pieces first because our trajectory shifted after we met Soderbergh, because we um, connected with him at a moment where he was struggling in his career, post-sexualized videotape. He had made three movies in a row that didn't work at the box office. And he was gravely concerned that that was going to be the end of his career. So he had made a bold decision to go make a commercial movie and out of sight uh, and work with uh, George Clooney, who was a television actor at the time, uh, but had a lot of heat um, to try and, you know, get some, uh, um, you know, commercial return on one of his movies uh, to make himself viable in the market again. And the conversation that we had with him, and this is my long-winded answer, but I'll, I'll get to why chronological. But the conversation that we had with him where he said to us, if you make another movie like the one you just made, you may never work again. So I think you should start to look at how you can tell your stories in a way that, you know, accommodates the business component of, uh, he's like, go write a book if you want to do weird shit. It doesn't cost anything, right? Much lower, you know, uh, cost of entry on it and then much lower outlay of cash to support it. Um, but if you want to make movies, I think you have to start considering how you make more accessible stories. And so if you, I think at the Rooster Brothers Film Festival, if you watched in order, you would see a trajectory that that moves towards, you know, our, our understanding of, a, or our, our attempt to reach broader and broader audiences. Well, there you go. I've just given you, you guys an idea for next year at Sands. So that's right. Make Thank it happen. You. Make it happen, it. Joe. Uh, brilliant. Well, hopefully we'll be back next year in person. Always a pleasure, Joe. Thank you, Chris. Take Thank care. you. All right, so that was Joe Russo, and if you want to have more information about the Sands Film Festival, it is online. Sands.iff.com All right. 
Time to dig deep into this week's uh, movie reviews. And there are a couple of movies out this week that aren't Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. It's been a while. I guess maybe Avatar was the last time that you saw other distributors run for the hills in the way that they have run from this one. They probably should run from Super Mario Brothers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in fairness as well, uh, no one saw that coming. Especially me, having seen it. It was like, there's no way this is going to make any money. Uh, of course it was going to make money. It was, it was always going to make money. But uh, they could have put more effort in. Hmm. That's all I'm saying. Well... Anyway, uh, to the script. I mean, it looks beautiful. Super Mario Brothers. Don't get me wrong. It really does. But script, nope. Bad. Anyway, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is out this week. There are a couple of other movies that are out this week that are brave enough to uh, to face the coming storm of Peter Quill and his mates. One of them is Return to Soul. Mm. Hell's Bells. Yeah, this um, premiered, I think, at Cannes last year um, when it was briefly called All the People, People I'll Never Be, but it has now been retitled Return to Soul, just in case you're wondering. Um, uh, this was written and directed by David Chu, and it stars Park Ji-min in, I believe, her first film and in yes. a stunning performance. Uh, as a French woman, uh, her name is uh, Frédéric, Freddy, um, who is originally South Korean. So she um, was, was born in South Korea and adopted by French parents and kind of rocks up in Seoul kind of by accident. She's kind of just letting the wind take her where it will. But then in conversation with a young woman she meets there, uh, a girl called Tenna, the wind seems to be sort of taking her towards uh, the Hammond Centre from which she was adopted, no relation to the guy who made Jurassic Park. Yeah, so she she sort of finds herself kind of almost going along there. It's almost like it's against her will. It's a really fascinating attitude that she has, but she learns that the adoption agency can send telegrams to her parents who can then respond and she can get get in touch with her biological parents and find out more about them. So she does that. She ends up meeting her dad in the short term. and um, And yeah, it's about this very strange uh, relationship that she has with the country of her birth and the country of her sort of, you know, that had her rearing, I guess, and and the way that she feels maybe caught between two worlds. So most of this film takes place during that first visit to Korea. But do keep an eye on the screen because there are some time jumps in here and it goes sort of, you know, a couple mm-hmm. of years later, five years after that and so on. So it's it's really about her trying to find a way to, I guess, belong and trying to find a way to reconcile her birth culture with the culture in which she was raised, with her own attitudes, her own feelings, which may be out of place in both cultures, you know, and, and sort of feeling sort of caught between the two and and kind of caught between two families, caught between two different attitudes to life, I think. And also just, you know, she herself is a very complicated person. She is not always likable. She is uh, involved in some not super great work uh, as the film goes on. Mm-hmm. And and yet you're always engaged with her. You're always engaged with her quest because I think Park's performance is, is absolutely off the scale. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a really kind of... Uh, it's a film that doesn't lecture. It's a film that doesn't do the obvious thing. It doesn't play out the sort of melodrama that you might be expecting in the sort of, you know, adoptive child goes back to home country and meets long lost biological parents. It's not what that maybe conjures up for you at all. It's a very subtle, very understated, very um, very unsettled film, I think, in that sense. Yeah. And um, And yeah, like I say, really, really well made. Um, by Chow and and brilliantly played by Park. 
Yes, I agree uh, fully. Obviously, this uh, this had particular resonance for me as well, um, given my current situation. But uh, yeah, I thought it was terrific. And Park Chi Min is, is terrific. Uh, we gave this one four stars, and I would fully agree with that. This yeah. is uh, a wonderful film. So seek it out. It's on movie in a few weeks' uh, time, but it will open in cinemas this weekend. Uh, also opening in cinemas this weekend is uh, going up against Peter Quill, is Peter Quill's mum, Laura Haddock. Huh. Uh, Meredith Quill herself in a film called The Laureate, uh, which was filmed a few years ago and I guess was delayed by the pandemic and tells the story of uh, Robert Graves, the great World War I poet and, and novelist and writer. And he he lives with his wife, Nancy Nicholson, who's an artist, played by Laura Haddock. And into their lives comes Laura riding a free-spirited American, played by Diana Agron, who wants to collaborate uh, with Robert Graves. And boy, does she ever. But she also collaborates, if you know what I mean, with Nancy Nicholson. Oh. And then Fra Fee mm-hmm. doesn't work for free. He turns up as someone who collaborates with them all again. Good and there's a Lord. whole lot of collaborating going on. You're thinking, wow, Chris, this sounds like an exciting fuck fest. No, <laughs> it's turgid and boring and terrible. The sex or? All of it. All of it. There's a sex scene in this movie that no word of a lie, because clearly everybody had a no nudity clause. So it, you know, it's all very chaste, but it's trying to be sexy uh, and profound and a little bit pretentious and a little bit student film the movie. And, uh, and there's a sex scene where two people start kissing and getting down to it and then the camera no we don't want you to see this we do not wish for you to see this and so it pans away from them to a fucking roaring fire <laughs> does a train go into a tunnel have you never seen top secret what the hell is going on five stars no I don't know what we, I don't think we have an official Empire review I d- don't One, two don't two don't it's basically it's uh, it's it's I would go to Tom Roaring Hughes, fires. Tom Hughes as Robert Graves being brooding and sad in a room, and it's not very exciting cinematically. Uh, uh, you know, would it be the exciting movie cinematically? A movie of me watching the Laureate, because that would be me <laughs> being brooding and sad, but also angry. So, wow. so more emotional depth. Yes. yes. <laughs> Certainly more range, and you know, just the same amount of disappointing sex. Let's be honest. <laughs> anyway, whatever. Sorry, rating for that film. And now let's move on to <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 uh, is here. It's there. It's every fucking where. Who went, <sighs> Helen, you've already, uh, you've already re- written you reviewed review. this film. You've yeah. written a review. So James Noted oh Guardians hater. That's true. Helen O'Hara. Mm-hmm. Let me um, just drink some more haterade here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gave this one four stars and was really on board with it. Noted Guardians lover James oh. Dyer, yeah. less so. Less so, but didn't dislike it. I should mm. I should I should throw that out there. We got onto this in the spoiler special, which no one has heard yet, so I'm not <laughs> gonna be repeating everything I said on there. But I I enjoyed it a lot, but it didn't tick the box that well, I should say what it's about. So 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 yes. let's 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 just get the formalities out of the way. So this is the final outing for the Guardians of the Galaxy since James Gunn back writing and directing this. Uh the Guardians are at their ease, shall we say, on nowhere with a K, uh, after the events of the holiday special. Uh, Quill is not having the best time because his girlfriend died and then came back a dick. Uh and he's not happy about that. Uh Rocket is a little bit mopey as well. Everyone's a little bit upset, and things get worse when Adam Warlock, sovereign Adam Warlock, played by Will Poulter attacks nowhere at the behest of the high evolutionary <gasps> uh, the new villain for this particular film uh, suffice to say there is a fracas and a rocket is injured 
Uh, and for reasons, they have to go on a quest to save the life of the beloved raccoon. So that is essentially the setup of or the squirrel film. or hamster or, or squirrel hedgehog. or hamster yeah. or hedgehog or badger, badger or rabbit. Yeah. Many other animals that they refer to him as in this particular film. Uh, I, I but, this, but, but therein lies kind of, I guess, one of the issues for me. So, so I think so. I love the Guardians. I love that they're misfits. I love that they're freaks and weirdos. I think they're hugely fun to be around. They are the best company of any group of characters in the MCU. They are better than the Avengers because they are just incredible amounts of fun to be around. They're brilliant. And their dynamic is so perfectly pitched and balanced. Every character in there complements each other wonderfully. They all accept each other's faults. They love each other for their faults. And there's something about that that just works for me. It makes these films distill joy. And even the second one, which I know you and I, Chris, differ on, I think even that, the Ravager stuff is great. All the character dynamics are great. The ego stuff, not so much, but there's good stuff there. I think with this film, Gunn made a deliberate decision to take a slow slightly more emotional route, which works really well. Like, the emotional payoff is 100% here. You will cry multiple times in this film. Uh, it absolutely gets you in the feels, and it's beautiful. But it loses, I think, a, and it's my own personal opinion, a little bit of fun along the way. How dare you come on here and peddle your own personal opinion? I, I apologise. Disgraceful. Uh, they sacrifice a little bit of the lols at the altar of the feels. And so I think, so I, <laughs> I felt that that was lacking a little bit. And I would also say, you know, this is possibly the darkest film in the MCU thus far. It goes to some quite... I mean, upsetting might be a strong word, but there's, I mean, there's a lot of graphic stuff in this and it goes to some very dark places and that surprised me. some well-lit me. places too. And some well-lit <laughs> places. In fact, some very primary colours in many places. But some very goes, primary colours. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, it's not a spoiler, it's in the trailer, so that it explores Rocket's origin story to say mm -hmm. that there's a certain amount of animal cruelty there mm -hmm. is, you know, I think we were all expecting that. But it's more graphic than I think I was prepared for. And... I was a little bit shaken by that. So, so to a certain extent, I would say, you know, if you are, you know, going there accompanied by younger film viewers, I would just weigh that up before you take your eight-year-old to go yeah. and see the Someone film. literally asked on Twitter, because I was I was praising this movie the other day, because, uh, spoiler alert, James is in the three-star camp, Helen's no, in the four-star no, no, camp. You know are what? You? I'm not are in you? the three-star camp. Really? I'm in the four-star camp for this film. Okay. But it just didn't deliver to me what I wanted. So I maybe had a slightly three-star experience, but I do think it's four-star film. Right. Okay. Interesting. But that, but, and, and I'm prepared to fully admit that was me bringing my own baggage. I went there looking for Guardians lols, and what it I is, got was Guardians fields. The spoiler special chat, which we have unusually recorded before the film <laughs> yeah. is officially out, um, again, because I'm away next week, uh, is a really, really good chat. And it's it's interesting that you know you 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 brought all those issues to bear and then we, we talk through them, that's for sure. Uh, and if you have listener questions, we will do that in the listener questions special as well. And if you don't subscribe to the Sporter Special uh, subscription feed, then you absolutely should. $2.99 a month, $32.99 a year. Can't say fairly that. James Gunn interview on that one as well. Yeah. Uh, anyway, enough of the hard selling. Uh, I was extolling the virtues of the movie on Twitter yesterday because I saw it for the second time yesterday. Loved it just as much as I did the first time. I'm in the five-star camp on this one. I think it is absolutely tremendous. I think it is uh, a glorious end to James Gunn's trilogy. Uh, it's a glorious end for, for uh, you know, I'm not going to say talk definitively, but it's a glorious conclusion for, for many of the characters. Uh, it really got me in the feels. 
but someone was asking me if they should take their eight-year-old, who's maybe not a huge mm. Marvel fan, has really seen the first Guardians to this movie. And I would say, actually, no. no. I'm, I'm not usually someone who's like, oh, you got to protect your kids from, from watching stuff because I watched all sorts of hor- <laughs> horrible, heinous shit when I was six or seven <laughs> and eight. And look how I turned out. Totally fine. Very well adjusted, very well balanced. Uh, and terrible with heights, but otherwise I'm, I'm pretty good. Uh, and I just thought, no, because it's too dark. It's it too raw. It's too emotionally brutal in a way but yeah it made me cry genuinely made me cry a lot this movie but it wasn't all with overwhelming sadness there are genuine tears of joy I mean yeah I want to be clear I I also cried a lot and I actually cried probably more the second time and Um, Helen hates the Guardians I don't hate the Guardians but but I do think that there I didn't find it a bummer to be clear I was I was moved by I was sad at times but I think overall it is a film that still keeps that Guardian joy for me anyway James obviously but um, but I I think it still has that joy it still has that fun it's still very very funny in in places Um, but yeah I mean in terms of the, the, the sort of scariness or the darkness of it like the guy who directed Slither Turns up a couple of times here, you <laughs> he know, does. and and uh, and James Gunn has kept that that relatively under control. I think in the other two Guardian films, mm. and 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 I think he struts it just a tiny bit more here. It's not it's not a full on horror movie at all, but there are some images in this, there are some moments and some scenes in this that are going to scare younger Guardians fans. And- so if you can. Try and go see it yourself and see yeah. what you think your kid would. If your kid is younger, like if your kid is like twelve or eleven oh, yeah, or so, you'd fine. probably get yeah, away with it. Yeah. But any younger than that, I would say. And also, Cap would have a few uh, would have a, a certain issue with this film as well. Look, there's a tiny bit of swearing. Cap is fine with that. Language Actually, by the standards of the 1940s, his language is very salty. So Cap. I think, yeah, a oh. lot of what he says is actually like 1940s swear words. He is a, he's a proper soldier. I'm just saying. What, what was this, the 1940s equivalent of motherfucker? Well, he doesn't say, nobody says motherfucker to them, does it? Do they? Come on. What does he say? What does he say? Like, there's a lot of darns and gods. Golly and gosh. Goddammits and things like that, which are, were quite strong in those days. What does he say, darn? I, not darn. He says goddammit. <laughs> darn it. Anyway. <laughs> look, famous scene. He does say alone. bastards, doesn't he? He says bastards there at you one go. point. See? Yeah. Uh, despite admonishing um, someone else yeah, for I think language. I think that was out of character. Just it's like Lincoln. the God line. I yeah. think the God line is out of character too. Anyway, this is a whole other thing that we've discussed <laughs> at length in other spoiler specials, which are available they in are. our spoiler specials. Two ninety nine a month. Thirty yes. two ninety nine a month. You should definitely spend because two ninety nine a month is 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 definitely worth spending when you have money left over after spending your oh, one ninety nine on Pilot Plus. Anyway, my so. point is that despite not liking Guardians Volume Two, which I didn't very much, this You're feels. Really, this this was a massive, massive step up to that. Um, from that, for me, yeah. I thought it was wonderful, and like I say, really emotional, wonderful. really funny, <laughs> uh, but also had some drama going on. And it's nice to see a Marvel movie where it isn't, you know, oh my god, someone's is going to blow up the world in X amount of time unless we gather the three things and put them together to do the what's it. This is very much a our friend needs us, so we're going to do a thing to save our friend. And I think that is wonderful. Although some people might lose track also of where they are and what they're doing in order to save their friend. <laughs> they, it is yes. fairly convoluted it's, it's as well. It's, it's a like, little convoluted. Got, there's a couple of things. There is a lot of, we have to go to get the thing to do the watch it yeah, with the thing that you To save our friend. friend. Yes. 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 So that's true. To save the laid up yes. badger. But yeah. it's still like, why is why are they going after that bloke from Superstore? Anyway, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a whole thing. <laughs> uh, I thought this was absolutely terrific. I, I loved every second of it. I know there's been a lot of talk uh, recently about the um, 
the wobble of the MCU, and a lot of people think that you know they're 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 on a downslope and from one from which they'll never recover. Um, and I, I even I will admit that uh, you know, me me uh, you know even I will say that you know a few of their recent cinematic offerings because I've loved most of the TV shows uh, have been less than stellar. Mm-hmm. Shall we say? Uh, but I also feel there's a little bit of a rush to, to just have a go at Marvel anyway to kick them while there's a sign of weakness. Uh, but anyway, that aside, this is a glorious return to form for uh, I'd say everyone everyone concerned except the fact that James Gunn, The Suicide Squad, was also great in my opinion, um, and uh, is a terrific, as I say, terrific end to to the, this trilogy. Uh, all your favorite characters are very very well. Represented, I'd be fascinated to see how people react to Gamora mm. in this. So it's Adania's Gamora in this because it is a very different Gamora. Obviously, it is not the Gamora of the first two movies. And her relationship with Quill is for me one of the most commendable uh, things that James Gunn does in this movie. I won't go into the spoiler details, obviously, but uh, he doesn't take the path necessarily that you think he's going to take. And uh, And they're great. They're all great, uniformly great. Chris Pratt is is fantastic in this. Uh, Bradley Cooper's voice work uh, as Rocket is heartbreaking mm-hmm. at times. The the music, the soundtrack is uh, predictably brilliant. It looks fantastic. It's a long movie, and sometimes you do feel the lengths. Uber, um, but for me, this is one of the best Marvel movies full stop we're now this is movie 32 in the MCU and this is one of the first post end game that would be hovering around my top 10 mm, uh, same the first Guardians for me is one of those movies that on a on a good day is my favourite MCU movie uh, you know and then, some, then the next day it'll be Iron Man 3 and then the next day it'll be Endgame and the next day it'll be Civil it's, it's War it's always Infinity War but carry on <laughs> next day will be Infinity War next day it'll be the Winter Soldier and so on and so forth Uh but along with No Way Home, this one is is one that's it's gay crash in my top ten. I think it's absolutely terrific, uh, and I I love it, and I'm giving it five stars. Unfortunately, Helen here, noted Guardians <laughs> hater, knocked a star off for having too many fucking Guardians. <laughs> I wasn't quite that that simple, but yeah, there were a few little little you know quibbles that I had, but generally, I had such a good time with it, and I agree, it's one of the certainly top two post Endgame. Um, uh, MCU films very comfortably very comfortably very very comfortably indeed uh, alright well I think that's it four stars then for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and on that note that is it for this week's uh, Empire Podcast join us next week for more film related fun when I may not be here so I'll be one of you two dipshits I've really launched a charm offensive to, yeah. to, to, to yeah, lure, to lure well, one you, of you I mean you've got turn. half of it anyway um. <laughs> yes that's right all charm no offensive uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh, and we'll be joined by someone I don't know who at this point so you figure it out okay we'll just drop someone <laughs> you know, in off the streets yeah. it's fine we'll just use one of your pilot people well t- next week on the pilot TV podcast oh, we have Rebecca Ferguson oh, the lovely Rebecca Ferguson Love is, you, on, Rebecca. is on Monday's show talking to me about Silo the new oh uh, no she doesn't series. deserve that Rebecca does. Ferguson doesn't deserve Rebecca to Rebecca had to put up with me oh. talking about Silo and which I loved and got very excited about so yeah 
okay, James, and you're and uh, James, you're on with Rebecca, and you've got 15 minutes, and start now. And then James launches into his question, and then Rebecca starts to answer. It's like, I'm sorry, James, it's all the time we have. I mean, it's not entirely inaccurate. Uh, we, we talked a lot about AI because she did a podcast. AI? AI. She did a podcast drama where she played a malevolent AI. 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 I can't even say the word. She played a malevolent AI. Um, so yeah, we talked uh, uh, talked about that. So basically, she's taken over the world. Is, is, oh, is what I we've believe it. Have I done that gag in the podcast? Uh, yes. Was the Scouser's yeah. favorite the film? AI. AI. OA. Was the Scouser's favorite TV show? The OA. Yeah, well, great. thank goodness for that. It's a good joke. Anyway. It's goodbye for my two colleagues of such lethal cunning, James Dyer and his pilot plugging ways. <laughs> yes. See you on Monday. Unbelievable prick. Um six AM for pilot plus subscribers. Oh, that's nice. 6 a.m. is when we got up to record last week's fucking <laughs> that podcast. Is true. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> that is I appreciate true. your sacrifice. Unbelievable. Um, but, we yeah. were less coherent than normal. Yeah, but then, for, in my defense, I got to see Guardians. So. And, and, and actually, probably getting up that early addled your brain enough that you <laughs> enjoyed it. Yeah, that's probably it. <laughs> Except it? I enjoyed it again on Tuesday, and I was conscious on Tuesday. Conscious. 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 <laughs> there we are. Oh, God. Bye, everybody. Bye bye. <laughs> Uh, it's goodbye to Helena Hart. No, she's, done that bit. she's done that bit. Uh, it's goodbye to Ridley Scott, who's listening. Hello, hello, Ridley. Goodbye. Um, Ridley. And also King Charles III, who's also listening to this as well. Uh, I'm just going to give one last shout out to someone who uh, got in touch with me uh, to uh, say that uh, she appreciates the podcast. Uh, but uh, she was, uh, she's been particularly um, taken by uh, my impression of Carrie Condon's Friday in Age of Ultron. Oh, Your man's the church boss. And she does it, oh, no. apparently she does it around the house. <laughs> Uh, oh, no. So much so that her husband went, can't possibly sound like that in the film. And they put this, they, they put the uh, the film on to see if it sounds like that. Turns out, spoiler alert, nope. <laughs> very exaggerated, very different. Anyway, there you go. Uh, anyway, that's enough from me. I'm off to not write James' introduction for Pilot TV Podcast. <laughs> Little, you are the ghostwriter. I am the spoiler. you behind it all along. Yes, James forbade me from uh, making a reference to not writing a script for my intro this week. Uh, less to derail his intro which is all about that because yeah. topical <laughs> <laughs> thank okay. you for listening see you next week bye bye